space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Her five-year mission? To explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Why not? The movie podcast and the nerds who haunt themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I love movies, which is lucky because each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about movies they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping by for this episode, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoyed the film talk and, as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the And Why Not Facebook group, or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode, I'm joined by Andy Clift as we boldly go into the second And Why Not Ranking episode and discuss our personal preferences for the Star Trek motion pictures from 13 to 1. And now with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's get trekking. Andy, how are you? I'm alright, how are you doing man? I am ticking on, thank you. I'm I'm looking forward to this one. I'm a... Me too, me too. I, uh, I'm did... really... I did a rewatch in October, or Spocktober as I called it, which is not original um... at all. And yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I need to do, we need to do a ranking episode on this now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I was like, I know I'm re- man. <laughs> oh, and I, uh, man, I am so excited. I mean, you've had me on previously to talk about the phantom which i love and batman the animate series with uh with mask of the phantasm but this is the one man this is there's not many things i enjoy doing uh you know gonna take this how you will but there's not many things i enjoy doing more than just sitting around talking about star trek so <laughs> that's it it's yeah i uh like i said been looking forward to this i have because it's been quite interesting as well rewatching them how as i've grown older my allegiances to certain things have shifted and mm. my views on mm. certain ones have shifted as well um mm. so yeah we're doing a ranking so the way we do the rankings is the whoever goes first will name their film and then we won't talk about the film itself until it comes up on the other person's list okay 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 i'll give it a go and before the internet gets in a rage this is based on personal preference there's no star trek film that i think is a bad film there's just ones that i enjoy more than others so Absolutely. I've done it based on my enjoyment and the merits of the film and not just as a film, but how it holds up within yep. the wider Star Trek universe without getting too okay. into the okay. wider lore and okay. <laughs> or in the casuals. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so do you want to go first with your number 13 or shall I go first? Uh, um, can I go first? Yep. Okay. Uh, so for me, this one um, is um, my as you say, least favourite. Um, I do enjoy it, um, but I do think it was when I was making this, it was, it was quite easy for me to put this one at the bottom, and that is uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. My number 13 is Star Trek Into Darkness. There it is. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 
I enjoy it, and it's an enjoyable enough sci-fi film, but it's a deeply flawed and wholly unsatisfying Star Trek yes, film for me. It is. It is. I, 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 I. So when when this film came out for me, I was really excited. I was like trying to take in everything I could, and you saw the trailers, and you kind of got the idea of what might be happening. And you know, uh, we can talk spoilers, right? Yes. Yeah. We yeah. <laughs> yeah we, cool. we will do spoilers for all thirteen, probably. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and uh, I went to see it, and when I was in the cinema, I had a good time, and I enjoyed what I was watching. But afterwards, I was having conversations with my friends and we were sort of kind of going, well, that didn't make sense. Oh, no, that didn't make sense. You know, certain things, um, certain reveals, which I know we're going to talk about, um, that didn't really make sense. And there were just, I mean, we can say it, can't we? It was basically a, a, a kind of an attempt at a remake of Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Um, which for me... They, they they sort of try to do those beats that are in that film. But for me, they don't work as well because in Wrath of Khan, those beats are earned. Yeah, that was going to you know, be what those, I said. That, Yeah, those crew, that crew have been around forever. Those actors have been around forever. At this point, it was like 15 years at that point. This didn't. And... And if anything, it was, it was, it was completely unearned because they almost did a hard reboot of Kirk at the beginning of the film it felt like all the character development that he'd kind of gone through in the first film they sort of did a hard reboot and he started being that kind of cocky kind of oh i'm all right i'm untouchable i can do what i like aren't i cool which i kind of get was his journey in this movie that he was going to get knocked down and you know blah, blah, blah. but it just sort of didn't feel like it worked for me so when we got to those bits they just felt wholly unearned, and I only really felt that in a rewatch. But yeah, that, that was one of my sticking points. Yeah, no, I was exactly the same in the cinema. I was like, I enjoyed it, but the niggling things were bothering me. I know a lot of people had a problem with Benedict Cumberbatch being Khan because well, the idea was that the recast happened because it was a new timeline, and Khan would have existed before the timeline reset, kind of thing. But I was fine with that because McCoy would yeah. still be. Yeah, um, but I mean, the Benedict Cumberbatch, I think he did a great job playing. I do. He should have been John villain. Harrison, though. He shouldn't have been Khan. Well, well, I remember. I mean, this was the one kind of slight flag when I was in the cinema because we all kind of knew he he was Khan. There was rumors about it. And we were all like, yeah, and it was originally okay. going to be Benicio del Toro, so we were like, well, yeah, it's going to be Khan yeah. then, and... which would have been a hell of a cast. It would have. But we, I remember sitting in a cinema and uh, it can't, you know, he's, he's Commander John Harrison, Section 31, cool, okay, and he's a terrorist, cool, okay. And then they capture him and they do that whole reveal and he's like, my name is Khan. And the Star Trek, you could tell he was the Star Trek fans in the, in the cinema because the Star Trek fans were kind of like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then everybody else who wasn't a Star Trek fan just kind of went, okay, so the guy's name's Khan now. Does that mean something? Have I missed something? Do I does that mean does that meant to mean anything? Like it it completely fell flat because there was nothing tied to it. It was just like, okay, does that mean something else? Like what? It's the exact same problem they had with the Blofeld reveal in Spectre in the James Bond films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like yep. it was signposted from miles away. Just lean into it straight away or do something different. But Stop was, trying to get same... that little fan 
Ooh. But yeah, but he's, but it was signposted for the fans, which yeah. they openly admitted that the that the the Kelvin films, as they they're called, weren't really completely made for. They were made for more of a general audience. Yes, yeah, bringing that and and yeah, like exactly like um, it, it it just completely fell flat. Um, and and what they could have done is had him, had it be John Harrison and just have him as a completely new villain, or have him as Khan from the very beginning and have the general public go on that journey with him yeah. and try and understand who he is, you know, still have him do exactly the same things that he did in the film, but then have that, that journey with him. Like when he has that emotional breakdown about his, his, you know, his family in the, in the cryo cheese, like that makes more of an impact if they know who he was to begin with. Um, you know, you could still have the whole, you know, Admiral Marcus keeping stuff from like the crew to begin with and all this other stuff like that. Fine. But like, it just didn't. It didn't need to happen. I mean, JJ Abrams has come out since and, and said that it was a mistake to do it like that. But it was like oh, too little, too late, mate. To be fair, you made yeah. the film. I mean, they kind of do it within it as well, where it would have been better being a big screen remake of Space Seed, not exactly like yes. that, but sort of doing yes. that and not having the Kirk instead of Spock. And then introducing the super blood or whatever it is, it was and all that <laughs> stuff. My biggest issue with it, though, I think, like I say, it's a really enjoyable sci-fi film. It's got a nice yeah. thing going on. It's got a nice mystery at the centre of it. It yeah, just yeah, blows yeah. it with that Kirk doing the Khan sacri- the doing the Spock sacrifice at the end, which was not earned at all. And no. you don't feel like those two are close enough for that moment to really work it works in no. Khan because we've been with for years even though that was only the second film but we've been with those live with those characters since the 60s those fans exactly i've gone through a three-year journey with them an animated series if you delved into that yeah all the expanded yeah. universe and two films by yeah. that point but my other the big issue with it is that it robs pike of his noble death the tragedy of his noble death yeah I, you know what, I, I love that they did Pike for this because obviously before they brought him back in Discovery and Strange New Worlds and stuff, you know, people who enjoyed the Cage, the pilot, um, you know, there's no Pike. You know, we got some comic books, maybe got a book, but there was no Pike really. Oh, I mean, obviously the Menagerie in the original yeah. series, but generally speaking, there was there was no Pike. So when they decided to make Pike this kind of father figure to Kirk in the in the rebooted films, I was like, that's genius. And, and Bruce, Bruce um, Greenwood, who's so good. Yeah, he's so good. Like Bruce Greenwood in it is just he's phenomenal. And that that death in in um in Into Darkness has far more impact than any of the emotional kind of sign posted. They might as well hold up a big sign saying, Feel emotions now. <laughs> you know, you know, when when Spock has his con moment, which in lots of rewatches is just comical. Um you know, Zachary Quento, bless him, he does a great job as the character, but that moment is just not great. Um, but that that death scene of, of Pike is far more emotional, re- emotionally yeah. resonating because of the history that was built up with the characters and because of Kirk's, you know, massive you know, farm, you know, daddy issues and all this other stuff. And he was looking for this, this father figure that he never had. And that death is just, it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. so good. But then, yeah, why didn't they just cure him with Khan's super blood that because they basically kill death yeah in this movie <laughs> it's like 
Yeah, like I so said, I think one of the things I always loved about Pike, obviously we get more Pike since with Discovery and Strange New Worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the things that always captured me about Pike is that he has this tragic heroic moment where I remember right, I can't remember how explicitly it's gone into in the original series. It'd be in the menagerie, wouldn't it? Have... Yeah, I mean, they've gone into it hard in Discovery. In, yeah, in, 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 in Discovery, they really worlds. go into yeah. it. In, yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, there was this mysticism about this heroic act and the tragedy of this great captain now being locked inside his own body. Mm. And I don't know, there's something about that. And it's sort of, like you say, as emotional as his death is in Into Darkness, yeah. it just lacks that great... And I'm yes, not saying they should have done that's... exactly what happened in the original series. Obviously, it's a new timeline. It differs. Mm, mm, but I mm. just think that character deserved better than just being gunned down with a load of cannon yeah, fodder in a room. No, I agree. I Even agree. if he died doing something heroic then. Yeah, not saying he wasn't no, doing something heroic, agree. but it but just felt a little bit like they threw the character away because they didn't really know what to do with him after this. Well, they wanted to give him that emotion. They wanted to give Kirk that. I mean, that was the catalyst, wasn't it? To make he basically Kirk... got fridged. Oh, got... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He got fridged to give Kirk that emotional catalyst to go, go get angry. Um, but I mean, there are other things as well in this film, like uh, the, the the kind of absolute ridiculousness of making Chekhov chief engineer just to give him something to do because Scotty has a you know Scotty has his um, has his tantrum and leaves the ship. Uh, and uh, going up to uh, going up to Chekhov, and he's like, "Go and put on a red shirt. You're my ch- new chief." And it's like, "Oh, you mean Ensign Chekhov? There's 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 no other senior officers in en- in the whole of engineering. There's no other lieutenants or lieutenant commanders. No, no. Let's send down the the 18 year old whiz kid. Uh, that makes sense. It's just completely silly. Um, uh, and then of course, uh, sorry to jump uh, over again. Uh, not only did they kill death. In this film, but they also completely make starships irrelevant because uh, Khan or John Harrison manages to beam directly from Earth to the Klingon homeworld. Yeah, <laughs> like just beams directly there. <laughs> it's just like what? <laughs> I mean, by his own admission, JJ was more of a Star Wars guy than a Star Trek guy, and I get that, that this these films were made with Star Trek fans in mind as a secondary thing rather than... Yes. And I think that's the strength of one we'll come to later. Yes. Um, but it's... Yeah, it doesn't quite gel. And viewing it as a Star Trek film, it's one of the weakest ones for me just oh, because yeah. it doesn't earn... I will say, though, one of its saving graces, and this goes for all three of these films... For me is Carl Urban yeah. as 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 Leonard McCoy. Like he is a scene stealer in every single scene he's in. He is absolutely I mean, I know everyone kind of goes on about Zachary Quento's portrayal of Spock, and yes, it is great. He is good as Spock. There's no doubt about that. Looks the part, can do it, fantastic. But I don't think Carl Urban gets enough credit for basically no. embodying Leonard McCoy the way he does in those movies. Oh. I agree, and it will become clear as we go on through this that I am a massive McCoy guy. Yeah, like, if I had to pick my favorite Star Trek character, it's McCoy. There's something about <laughs> McCoy that friendly but grumpy. Guy. It always reminded me of my granddad. Doesn't look any, right. didn't look anything like my granddad, but my granddad had that kind of like I, I get pesty, that. I get but that. 
you know, you love yeah. being with the guy, but at the same time, you don't know when he's gonna like yeah, snap I get you. or something. And, I get um, you. But yeah, and I thought Carlo. To be fair, I like all of the cat. I think they did a nice job with all of mm. the recast. They did. Yes. The only one that doesn't really gel for me is Simon Pegg Scotty. Oh really? See, for I me, think, I think he's really great. I yeah, I just I don't know. They it's fu- it's funny you say that. Um, His comedy is a bit broader yeah. than James Doonan's was for me. I think. Well, he was. He's clearly the comic relief because yeah. they needed a comic relief. Again, um, and I don't hate him. It's just he's the no. one that it takes me a little bit, a few more yeah. films to really gel with. Yeah. Um, my I, and, I, I, and for me though in this film, and I this will uh, I think this is my last kind of slight beef with it. It's not even a beef. I think it's just funny. Um, is that that to solve the the problem of Khan, they take the Spaceballs route. Because you know, in Spaceballs, they watch Spaceballs on video, right? To, and, and in this, they're like, "How did we defeat Khan?" I know. Let's ring up the guy that was in Rafa Khan. <laughs> and this is like ring up old Spock, and you know, it's Leonard Nimoy's last ever performance as Spock. Um, and he's just like, "Do you ever meet Khan? Do you know how do we beat this guy?" <laughs> I do love <laughs> Nimoy's delivery of his line about Khan. Oh, what you know? That being said, Khan yeah. Mooney and singing, yeah, and you're just like, oh. <laughs> but even the look, even the look when he says, "Did you ever meet someone called Khan?" and you just see that look on on old Spock's face, as if to say, "I can't believe what you've just said. You have no idea what you're dealing with." And he just delivers it in a look, and you're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> it's just yeah, he's brilliant. But but yeah, no, like I say, I enjoy it as a film less as a I enjoy it as part of those three films as well but yes. as yes. part of the wider trek it just doesn't yep. gel for yep. me no no i um, i say to people i say to people that i love every single star trek film into darkness i like yeah that's kind of how i put it like i like it but i love the rest of them but i i like this one yeah yeah um but yeah all right then so you're number 12 Insurrection. Fair enough. My number 12 is Nemesis. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, right then, so we will get to those as and when they come up on the other list. Okay. So your number 11? Uh, Final Frontier. Mine is Generations. Oh, it is for most people, but for me, Generations is higher up for, for a specific yeah. reason, which we will get to. That's cool. Right then, your number ten. Uh, my uh, my number ten is Nemesis. Nemesis, right? So we could talk about Nemesis now. So okay. Again, it's not that I don't like this film. I just it doesn't feel like a fit and send off for that crew. Well, for me, Nemesis, and, and I, I kind of have to stress here my 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 bar for loving Star Trek is extraordinarily low, um, and I fully acknowledge that Nemesis has a bunch of flaws but for me and because i i I, you know i am a tng guy in my core um like i love all star trek but for me tng was the one that captivated me as a child yeah um there was just something about the fact that yes it, it there was a lot of problems that the cast talk about openly and the director being one of them um, and you can kind of see it when you watch it, but I think that those cast, that cast, are so good 
that they held it together and and managed to, and and the story itself is actually in my opinion quite good i mean you know shinzon's uh mind raping of troy aside which was completely unnecessary and is very difficult to watch um so for me you know that is the one thing that i wish they didn't happen in it um i think other than that generally speaking it's a decent story um and i think there are some wonderful emotional beats in it uh and there's there's this wonderful kind of connection between the characters you know starting at the wedding you know troy and Riker finally getting married you know we get the sense that this is the last time we're going to see this crew like this because we immediately find out that Riker and troy are going to the titan um and then we get the little the little beautiful nugget that, that data is going to be the new first officer which for me you see you talk about uh mccoy Data is my favorite character in Star Trek by like a mile. So I was like, oh, he's going to get promoted. That's awesome. And so we're getting all of these, you know, pieces moved around the table. Things are going to change. You know, you get the Guinan cameo. You get the tiny Will Wheaton. Yeah. Uh, Will Wheaton. <laughs> uh, I mean, you say that, but he he filmed that scene that got cut um, about where he was going to tell everybody that uh, it was going to be, you know, etched into canon that he was coming he was in starfleet and he was going to take over as an assistant chief engineer of the titan but because that wasn't in it we got well we got these wonderful things that happened later with the character in you know um so that's fine but he was there and i love that and you know having Worf back in the fold they didn't really explain why he was back in starfleet after the events of deep space nine but i was kind of fine with it because he had to be there you know um I just think that there are there was a lot more to this film that that is good that I don't think it gets a lot of credit for because it's it, it's it's kind of universally despised in, in in Star Trek fandom and I get it I do get it um, but you know Tom Hardy I think does a great job yeah. as a villain and he suffered after this film like he suffered very badly for it apparently he you know because of its disastrous box office performance he was so young apparently it sent him down a bit of a, a mental health uh road which you know is terrible because he's fantastic in that thing. he is he really is um and and as i say the story i think the story is great and the ending the the emotional ending yeah i was not prepared for that i was sitting in the cinema and i was just i i emotionally wasn't prepared for it and i freely admit i bawled my eyes out like I was just beside myself because of what happened and and the fact that it was the last next generation film, which I don't think it was meant to be. I they started marketing it as their final, but then they well, said there was plans to bring in certain people from DS9 and Voyager and sort of wrap that whole era of Star well, Trek up. The original, the, there's 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 the there's the well known sort of hush hush story, isn't there? That they didn't want to bring Marina Sirtis back as Troy. They didn't want to pay her the money. So she was like, they were like, take this money or we're going to write you out and bring in Seven of Nine. Um, which everyone was like, well, that makes no sense because she's never had any interaction yeah. with this crew at all. Um, and they were like, yeah, but you know, she'll bring in the viewers. Uh, so we're going to do that. And someone caved. I don't know who it was. So she got brought into it. Um, but we did get that wonderful cameo from Jane. 
as well. Yeah. Absolutely lovely. Love that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll let I, you talk I, now. <laughs> I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as everybody says it is. Everybody says it's, I mean, it's, it's usually into darkness or this at the bottom of most people's lists. And I do, again, like you, I was an original series fan as a little kid until I saw that one episode where the female ensign gets turned into a little cube thing and then crushed into, and it haunted me for life. Um, <laughs> and I was dreading it oh back God, to that yes. one in my last rewatch. That really stuck oh, with me since I was about really? five or six. And it's just stayed wow. with me forever. I completely get it. I completely get it. I think, and it, it's going to sound silly, but as a child, it mostly seemed to be male characters that were killed. And even in Star Trek, it was rare that a female officer was killed yeah yeah so i think that really stuck to me and you know mm-hmm. even as a small child i was like she's a she's a pretty lady and i'm not <laughs> not to sexualize i know her. what you're saying i know what you're saying i know you what you're know, saying she married james cromwell in the end in the future mm. <laughs> but um but yeah that really just stuck with me and it haunted me and for a long time i didn't go back to the original series because of that because i was like but there were going to be more wow. others and then i remember seeing next generation on in the video shop and be like, what have they done to Star Trek? It's like, this recasting looked awful. <laughs> and then catching it on BBC Two on was it a Tuesday mm. or a Thursday it used to be on. Wednesday, Wednesday night, six Wednesday night. BBC Two. See, either <laughs> side. Um, and yeah, I fell in love with it. And then I started working with a guy who was really into Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. And then mm. I started buying the videos when they came out where you could get the mm. little stickers mm. that you could put in the yeah. little folder thing of all the different ships. Yeah, uh, which which I found the other day, the little plastic flip thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I I was like, this is brilliant, and I loved it, and yeah, just wholeheartedly. In I mean, the thing with next gen, like all Star Trek, is it's either brilliant or there's just some really really crap episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Star Trek yeah, kind, of, kind of likes to swing like that. There's there's, there's some awful yes. ones, but or not awful. No, there are some awful ones. Uh, there Beverly are Crusher with the ghost. Oh, Sub Rosa. Yeah. <laughs> Season seven of Next Generation really went to the, the hills. Oh, mate. I mean, see, for me, Next Gen was, was, um, because my parents liked Star Trek. They weren't Trekkies, but they liked it. They, they could enjoy it. And they kind of raised, they kind of showed me the movies that were out at the time. And ne- uh, uh, original series wasn't on the telly at that point. And then they made this, like, then BBC made the big push that we've got the new Star Trek. And I remember it being an event in our house, the new, the first ever episode of Next Generation was airing. And we sat down and we watched it in Council of Farpoint. And um, my my parents kind of liked it. They were like, yeah, this is kind of cool. Me, I was just like, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. But I was just like completely, I mean, it's cheesy, you know, when you watch it now, but I was just hooked. And my moment, for, for, that you were talking about where the death stayed with you uh, for me it was Tasha Yar yes that was the like, second for one for me, me I was just like I was I mean I was really young I was like I don't know six or six or something when I watched that and I was just like so she's she's dead what do you mean she's she's not dead the characters don't die she's not dead and I was like no she's dead and I was like what and the fact that she got killed by a giant big black ooze monster yeah. was just like horrible um so yeah, yeah i didn't gen- see that i read about that in a magazine in a news agent while well, i was just trying to pick a magazine and i picked up the star trek magazine was just flicking through it and i was like what what because again yeah. I, I had a weird yeah. not a weird i had a childhood crush on tasha yar there was something about mm-hmm. it i was just like mm-hmm. had an alert yeah. to what 
10 year old me i must have been by that point yeah so it was again, just um, that, that hit hard to find out she died yeah it was uh it was brutal um yeah the two deaths when i was a kid stayed with me optimus prime uh transformers the movie and uh Tashi Yar in 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 skin of evil uh it just is brutal um so so all the way through though next generation was like my star trek you know picard my captain data you know yeah. just loved it so um you know going back to nemesis it was just the end with with data and his his sacrifice is just for me it was the culmination of everything that the character was meant to be it was his i know that brent spiner had a hand in writing it because brent spiner had been trying to get data killed off since um, yeah, he was very much uh, the Harrison Ford Han Solo thing, wasn't he? Yeah, he he wanted he wanted to die in insurrection. That was his 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 thing to come back for. And then apparently he got sent the script um, with a note on it from Rick Berman saying, uh, "Sorry, we'll kill you in the next one." Um, and then he's he, he's got screen credit in it, so that was clearly his date is going to die. Um, and when he does, like for me again, when I when I watch this scene. It, it was, and maybe I go quite deep to it, I don't know, but for me it was, it was Data finally achieving humanity yeah. because he he goes to that ship to save Picard and he's, and you know, we, we, we got the little bit in, in earlier in the movie where it's foreshadowed where he's got the little, mo, you know, uh, mobile transporter thingy that can only beam off one person and Picard does that whole thing of we'll get off together and they manage to escape earlier in the film. So we know this thing's a, you know, it's a Chekhov's gun, right? This is going to be a, this is going to be a thing. And then, yeah, everything's kind of falling to pieces at the end. You know, Shinzon's dead. The Semitar's going to blow up. Everyone's going to die on the Enterprise. Everything's going mad. And then Data turns up and just looks him, looks Picard in the eyes, doesn't say anything, just slaps the transporter, um, the little transporter, um, mini transporter thing on his on his chest, and he beams off. And he just he just looks and he just and Data just says goodbye to nobody. And that was, in my opinion, that's him achieving humanity because yeah. he he understands he understands the sacrifice he's doing. It's an emotional response. He cares about Picard. He loves Picard as a father figure, and he willingly sacrifices his life not from a positronic programming point of view, but because he understands from an emotional point of view what he's doing. Yeah, and he, and he gains humanity, and it, yeah, I'm getting all teary just thinking about it. Because <laughs> I had a conversation with my friend who was into Star Trek before this film came out, and I was like, you know, the progressional journey of Star Trek, the next generation for me, is Data. The other characters <laughs> evolve, but Data's the one who's a completely different. Mm-hmm. Certainly, by this film, he's a completely. I think Nemesis is a lot of really nice little character moments. You're right. Yes, in a nice story that just doesn't quite hold together as a satisfying yeah. film for me. Um, I kind of think they cheapen Data's death a little bit by then having Data's replacement sat there. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, and I I think they did intend that, to that if they did get to make another one, they can have like a Spock-type yeah. resurrection with the whole, because they you know downloaded his... His uh his brain into into B four, um. So there is that, um, yeah. Which, that kind of if you were paying attention, you knew that. So I don't think you needed the little flash of data when he starts humming the tune, 
I th- yeah, I c- I do completely agree with you, and I think that again, you're, I I completely agree. When I was sitting in the cinema, I did I did feel like I don't want to see Brent Spiner in in the data makeup again after Data's death. It, you're right. I think yeah. it, it it cheapened that. I would have rather had the bit. Stephen Culp scene. Put what is the, the, the as Riker's replacement? Yeah, he tells yeah, him yeah. he likes to be called yeah. John Luke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the uh, just his reaction of. <laughs> Commander Riker was pulling my leg, wasn't he? <laughs> beautiful, beautiful moment. But yeah, so but I completely, I completely acknowledge that it, it, it's a, it's a film that that doesn't quite hit its mark, which is why it is farther down my list. But yeah. I can't help but have some sort of love for it. Again, I think if they got one more, uh, I think it would have yes. helped yes. that film as yeah. well. I think because it yeah. felt like they just rushed an end. Mm-hmm. And they also, mm-hmm. I mean, Paramount's notorious for this. This year has been a fine example with their marketing of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, yeah. which yeah. everything about that film was done wrong. Putting a Part 1 on it, releasing it the week before Barbenheimer, all of that stuff. <laughs> but with this film, if they'd have just held on to it a little bit longer instead of pushing for the summer, they could have had it out on a Star Trek anniversary. And they'd have got all that buzz. It's like, it makes yeah. no sense. Well, yeah, because it's as much as I love those Star Trek films, they're not big tentpole summer movies by that point. No, no, they'd have been better Um, going for the winter crowd. Yeah, so I completely agree. Yeah, and not trying to compete with whatever was big that year. What was it? Two thousand and two, wasn't it? So, oh, I can't remember what was that. Yeah, two thousand and two. So yeah, it would have been like born that summer well we we got it in the uk we actually got, got it in december year. january yeah 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 but yeah it yeah you're right it was just bad bad marketing but it just seems to be the way with power like i say they don't seem to yeah. have any lessons right then <laughs> uh my number 10 was final frontier so we can talk about final frontier now um for me, this is another one that's got a lot of nice little character moments in a horribly bloated. Do you know? I well, can, not horribly know bloated, I, but just no. See, final final frontier, and I'll talk more about it when we do talk about insurrection because I think they both have the same issue, which is that final frontier is a Star Trek episode. Yeah, it is a it's an original series Star Trek episode. It, I love it. For Star Trek, I mean, Next Gen- Next Generation and Original Series had their tropes, right? Their fullbacks that they always went to every so often. Um, with uh, um, Next Generation, it was Picard standing up to the to the authority and giving them a moral dressing down. And with uh, ne- with the Original Series, it is uh, a band of aliens who could never even be a threat, somehow taking control of the Enterprise and commandeering it for their own kind of... Um, wacky adventure um then kirk has to sort of try and win back the ship uh, and that's what this is this I mean, is that's that what space seed was wasn't it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and what of so many times i mean in the original series there was that episode was it the space hippies or whatever they were called i can't yeah. remember what they were called but those guys they, they took over the ship somehow with charles napier um, in it <laughs> yeah there's the one that where with your um, harrowing death yeah. they, they came on board to go so it was a go-to thing for original series that somehow this tiny band of aliens or whoever with no seeming 
not always anyway, seeming technolo- technological advance, like advantage, somehow overpowered the crew of the Enterprise and stole it and uh, for a joyride. And this is that is as a film. Um, and I, I kind of love it for that, really. I mean, it was it was obviously uh, the first film after the, the Genesis trilogy, as it was called. Um, we get the new brand new Enterprise A, uh, all the crew are back. Uh, where they're meant to be, what we're going to do, we're going to send them on a crazy adventure like we did back in the 60s. Um, and William Shatner's going to direct it, which I think he actually did a better job than he gets credit for. Yeah, um, I, I'd agree with that. Um, I think William Shatner's a better actor than he gets credit for in that role. Completely it's, agree. It's something we'll completely come agree. into a bit later on. But um, yeah, I because th- one of the things everybody is like, oh, is that the one where they go and find God? It's like but the amount of times they found a version of a god in the original series. There's yeah. one where there's a giant Greek god in the one episode. Yeah. Again, I think Apollo. people forget. It's like when people complain about Strange New Worlds being like a little bit wacky and out there. Sometimes it's like, did you ever watch the original series? Yeah. They got some absolutely insane ideas. Triples, um, for God's one, sake. <laughs> well, exactly. But one of the things that I love about Final Frontier, and this happens in a few of the, the Star Trek films, particularly the original series films, this film technically it doesn't really have a villain. Not really. I know that the energy god creature at the end is pretty bad, but he's only in it right at the end. Because Cyborg isn't he's not really a villain. He's I mean he does a few bad things, yeah, but he's he's a character that is completely, you know, an outcast because he 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 wants to be embrace emotion. So he was outcast from Vulcan. You know, even though he's full Vulcan, he was more of an outcast than Spock ever yeah. was, even though they were, you know, um half brothers um and he just he's just got a crusade that he fundamentally be- believes in which i know you know he's an extremist we can go down that route but he doesn't try to harm anybody not really you know he threatens people he takes hostages but then he sort of turns them to his side with his I kind say of, they, they're uh, willing hostages aren't they <laughs> yeah yeah with his uh with his kind of vulcan it's never really explained whether he actually uses his kind of vulcan telepathy to do it or not but he just sort of talks to people and kind of convinces them. He never actually hurts anybody, really. Like that, no one. Di- the only people that die in that film is, is him yeah. at the end. Um, so you know, because we all know there are people who are extremists and they do bad things, but he doesn't, you know, hurt people and do things. But he doesn't do that. He sort of commandeers the Enterprise, but just kind of talks people to be on his side. And and I kind of like that because he's just sort of really happy as he's doing it he's just like super positive i know it was sort of meant to be a kind of an analogy of the of the kind of te- television and well, you know that word oh tv and and the preachers on telly in america at the yeah, time the televangelists. You know I mean? that's the one um it was meant to be a play on that where you get these people that kind of you know, hold sway over a large group of people because they're very charismatic in a religious way and, you know, people believe them, but in the end they get revealed to be sort of charlatans or what have you. And I know that's what it's kind of meant to be, um, you know, kind of a, a play on. But like I say, he, he is a villain. But, you know, compared to other villains in Star Trek, he kind of isn't. And he kind of realizes he made some mistake, and he sort of tries to correct it at the end. And like I say, no one else, no one really dies. <laughs> no one yeah. is really in any danger. Because I wonder whether some people had a problem with this in that it is, 
he's a zealot for want of a better word who then yes. finds out that he's been on a thankless crusade that it was all a lie yeah. and i wonder whether that sort of hit certain religious groups there is a condemnation yes, I, of organized religion kind of thing i and think I can definitely yeah i can definitely appreciate that and accept yeah. that yeah I, I think this is the weakest of the original crew films but One, I think yeah. it's a hugely enjoyable film. As a kid, I love... I know it's divisive amongst people, but as a kid, I loved Scotty's I know this shit by the back of my hand and then knocking himself out. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, it was meant to be this sort of more kind of comic relief film after the kind of heaviness of the of the, 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 the Genesis trilogy. So, yeah, you had these really nice moments of Scotty knocking himself out yeah. and, you know, them singing, like, um, row, row, row your boat. See, I love that. And... that. The chemistry yeah. between the core three, I love that they're all kind of incompetent as well. It's not the smooth, suave Kirk saving the day. It's like, you know, yeah. they fly, fly with the rocket boots up the elevator shaft, but it doesn't quite go, nothing quite goes out, yeah. works out for them. And the ship's kind of broken. It doesn't quite work. And... And um, but it also handles because the original series films, all of them, they all have this un, un this huge kind of uh, thread of age running yeah. through. It's all about aging. And yeah, because they decided really, early on to just lean into it, didn't they? Rather than yeah, try and hide they really it. Did. Exactly. So it's all there's this thread of aging, and particularly Kirk trying to find his place with getting old. And you know, he finds himself back on the, the as a captain after being you know demoted as, as an admiral, and but they find themselves without family, like biological family, yeah. I guess you would call it. So they're all, they start, they start the film with them all on surely, all together. You know, they have that lovely moment with Kirk, Spock and McCoy, you know, they're together because they're, you know, but then, you know, uh, Chekhov and, and, uh, and, uh, and Sulu were together, which I know we find out later that, that Sulu does have his own family, but, but like they're together, you know, it's kind of heavily implied that Scotty and her are in kind of a relationship. Yeah. You know, it's about these characters kind of evolving and 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 kind of accepting that they love each other, that they're a family. And find and that's it was sort of character development over the course of those the previous films. And I really, really love that. Um and I think there was actually, and I didn't mention it, but I think there's a little hint of that in Nemesis for the TNG crew as well, particularly with Picard. He's very soft in that film with them. And I think that's kind of the same thing with this. There's a there's this sort of you know it is, it's family, and it's 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 wonderful to watch. It really is. I really enjoy it. And it's and it's a family that know they're coming to the end of being together as a family. Well, yeah, it was the last one where they are. Yeah, it's the last film where they're all together. And it's I like the restless Kirk. You know, yeah, he's, he's climbing Mount Capitan because he's not the kind of guy who can just sit there and. I love Bones yeah. watching him. I was going to say, man, I bet you love that bit. I do. Like, he's... <laughs> I maintain that like one of the most underrated actors ever is DeForest Kelly. He has amazing 100%. little moments in these films. Yes, 100%. he does the the big, you know, I'm a doctor, not a pool man or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cliche things, but he's yeah. a, he has these wonderful little moments. Yeah. His little asides are like, you know... Um, if he doesn't if he doesn't die doing that i'm gonna kill him or something things like little yeah, things yeah. like that i'm um, gonna end up and if i'm not careful i'm gonna end up talking to myself yeah <laughs> like, i love those really. bits and um but then we get we get that lovely character moment with him and we find out about his dad yeah and like what he did with that it's like <clears throat> i remember reading that he found that really hit home for him as well it was really yeah, he did 
Yeah, he's he's phenomenal in that. He is. He's amazing. Mm. I think I think a lot most of those actors, him in particular, but like I said, Shatner, I think gets a lot of stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the I think everybody thinks of the impressioner of Shatner as Kirk. We've we've all mm. done the my God spot, but it's not that in the it's not in the it series really or the films. That. And he, again, not, he has no. some wonderful moments. He's a wonderfully charismatic lead, especially in the original series. Mm, mm, I mean, yeah. you know, it has certain 60s problems, as all 60s TV shows do, but... Of course. But and Leonard Nimoy is so good as Spock to put so... that much emotion into an emotionless character. Oh, I'm going to be talking about that later. When yeah. I guess we're to you, you, don't, you believe me. <laughs> Um, Why not be just, the film he's so good? Um, yeah, they really are. But yeah, like I say, this is a film that's a lot of nice chemistry moments between the. It got to this point. Um, my friend Rob Rob O'Connor, who's done several episodes of this as well, he's also a big Star Trek. And one of his things he likes to say is, "It's amazing that there was a time, a period in time, where you could have a bunch of overweight middle aged men lead in a film franchise and get in cinematic releases." It's like you think about yeah. it; that would never happen. <laughs> No, no. The closest we got now wouldn't. is the Expendables, and they're all ripped. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Um, but yeah, again, I think, I think, I think Final Front. It's one of those films. It's one of my comfort Star Trek films because yeah. I rewatch them all quite often. Um, and I'll put on Final Frontier if I just want to sort of slightly turn my brain off and just enjoy a good Star Trek story. That's just, that's just it's, you know, it's a nice easy watch, watch isn't it? Yeah. Don't quite want to watch an episode. I want to watch an episode that's a bit more spectacle. Let's watch that one. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's just an. It's just an original series episode with a slightly bigger budget. Um, and uh, and I dig it. <laughs> but it's not one of the best. But it's still fun. Yeah, I mean, I think you know this is one of the big factors for the odds versus evens. Good Star Trek, bad Star Trek, which is a thing that's never really worked for me. I don't buy it, and I've never bought that. And uh, there's one particular film on this list that absolutely, in my opinion, shatters that one. Right. But uh, when we get, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> but two, actually, the two, sorry, two on this list, I think shatters that. But... Yeah. But awesome. All right, then. So moving on to your number nine. So my number nine is Star Trek 09. So the reboot, the first reboot. Interesting. I got that one a lot higher. I must admit. <laughs> but so we we will get into that in a bit. But all right, my number nine was Insurrection, which was your number twelve. Okay. Yes. Um, again, this was always in was never in my top ten. But last time I wa- mm. rewatched it, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if it's just because I'd come off of watching the original series, mm-hmm. and I liked that feeling of it being an episode. Yes. Um, and that, because that is what it is. Like I said, like I kind of said with with Final Frontier, you know, Next Generation's kind of thought one of Next Generation's big fallback tropes was Picard standing up to authority and giving yeah. them a moral dressing down and kind of going a bit rogue. Um, and that's what this is. And it is an episode. It could have easily been an episode in yeah. the uh, in, in Next Generation. Um, yeah, because my friend Andy, different Andy, watched all the Star <laughs> Trek films. Or watch the next gen films and he was like oh there was one that just felt like an episode i was like was that insurrection yeah. he was actually talking about first contact and i was like no sir <laughs> you, you you are grossly wrong but uh... some fighting words there mate <laughs> but he's, he's not a proper star trek yeah. man but he was just trying I, um... him out but 
I think this partly suffers, it fails to build on what First Contact achieved. Yes, agreed. But it does work as quite a nice palate cleanser. I think if there had been more films Perfect. after this, this would have been a nice little, a bit like Voyage yes. Home. Voyage Home's a better film, but it's a nice palate cleanser after. Yes, yes I completely agree. Um, I love that analogy that it's a palate cleanser because I think it is, um, uh, yeah, really good. Um, it's uh, it's one of my favourite because um, obviously Michael Dorn as Worf had to be in all the Next Generation movies, and by this point he was extremely into Deep Space Nine. He was very like he'd been in it yeah. for years, and this is one of my favourite loose sort of like they don't even bother trying to explain why he's in the Enterprise. And bear in mind that this came out around about the time that Jadzia Dax dies. Yeah. In 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 Deep Space Nine. So his wife had, like, his character wife had just died, right? And they don't even mention it. And of course they wouldn't, because most people who are watching this may be, you know, casual, aren't going to know what happens in, in, in Deep Space Nine. But it it just felt weird as a Star Trek fan that he he was there um, and they're kind of, you know, watching, you know, Deep Space Nine as he, you know, he's been doing week in, week out at this point. And then it's just like, oh, I'm going to ask Worf to delay his... His, uh, his return to Deep Space Nine. But what was he doing there? You know what I mean? What was he doing there? Oh, you know, they could have even slipped in a little line about him, you know, being there to be amongst friends because, you know, he's going through a hard time or something. Um, but no, it's just, he was there, fine. I mean, because they even name-dropped the Dominion. They they, they, they name-dropped the Dominion War in that yeah. film. So there is that, like, that whole business of kind of acknowledging what's going on in the wider Star Trek universe. But yeah, it was this sort of really kind of like, we're not even going to bother. We're not even going to bother explaining why he's on the Enterprise. He's just here. <laughs> it's fine. Um, cool. Um, but like I said, I think I think overall, I think it. it I do enjoy it, but yeah, that was probably why. why uh, yeah, no, I I get movie. why it's so low down on your list, and like I say, it's been there for me. But I think as well, possibly because I'd come off the original series and then watching. Mm going on that journey with Kirk and everyone. this one feels the most like that chemistry of the original mm. series. Yes, I get they're, that. They're a bit I more playful with each other. Yeah. Um, you've got yeah. the great Riker and Troy stuff. You know, I kiss you and you say yuck. It's it's just funny as well because like, um, you know, he shaves his beard and it's the first time we see Riker without beard in season one, which is super weird to yeah. see. Um, there are, I will say though, there are some beautiful moments um, in this film, and there's one particular moment that I always talk about when I talk about this film, and that is Geordie. So, I I am a I am a, a wheelchair user, so I'm disabled. I was born disabled, and you know, so I've been disabled my whole life. That's what it means. <laughs> and um, even though Data is my favorite character, I've always loved Geordie and what he's what they did with him because. One of my biggest thing with the depiction of disability in TV and film and stuff is there always have to be a reason, there always has to be explained, have to be a plot point. Whereas with Geordie, I mean, yes, there were some episodes where he his his him being blind was was kind of made a fan of that. But in sorry, it's a big fan. Um, for all intents and purposes, it's kind of ignored. And I kind of love that because yes. what they're trying to say is that disability is just accepted. It's just he's disabled. You know, he, there are there there is the ability to correct if you will i'm using the uh the uh the quote sign fingers there yeah. um to you know fix his disability um but he doesn't do it because he's like why should i this is just who i am and i love that 
But in this film, because of the uh, the fountain of youth energy, you know, his eyes regenerate. And of course, that character has been established that he was born blind. He's always been blind. And there's this beautiful moment when he finally he finally gets his sight back. And we know that in the series that he there's been a couple of times he's had sight, but we're gonna forget that. And what's the first thing he does? He just goes by himself to watch a sunrise, something that people with sight take for granted. We just take for granted. We can watch a sunrise if we want. We can do that. But to him, it's this big deal. And he has this moment. He goes off and does it by himself. And I've often said to people that said to people that because I you know, I'm like, what happens if you could suddenly walk? Um, I've said, you know, I would just go for a walk by myself. That's what I would do. I would just take myself off, go for a walk, and just experience that thing that people who can walk take for granted every single day. Yeah. And the way they handled that with Geordie in that movie is so beautiful. Yeah. And so for me at least, correct. Like that is what he, you know, that is what I, I, I imagine anyway. I mean, obviously, I don't want to talk to the blind community. I'm not blind, but the handling of disability as a subject, it was so powerful for me to see that in the cinema, and just yeah, very, 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 very amazing. <laughs> Again, that's Lavar Burton so good in that scene as well. It's almost too good a scene for the film it's in in some ways. Very true. Yeah, um, but he's just wonderful. It's you feel the emotion he's feeling. It's like, even mm. if you can't, like like you say, I've never been blind. I I yeah. have no disability beyond, you know, a little bit of asthma. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not even comparing. With... <laughs> no, I know you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm very much a privileged person. I've not had anything like that. Mm. But just that scene could have easily been played of him just in tears and, you know, Exactly, giddily joyful, or overly explaining yeah. what it is, but he just has that beautiful yeah. moment where he explains what why he's on his own, what he's doing. He's like, you know, I've, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this. Yeah, and he even says, you know, it might not last. And they could have easily done that because the Bar Burton was famous for saying that he hated wearing the visor, and then of course in the movies he started having the um, what he was called, you know, the, the the cybernetic eyes where he had to wear um contact lenses yeah. and stuff so he could have they could have easily used that as a and, and that to their credit they didn't because they could have gone ah he's, he's now fixed he's, he's not blind anymore but they didn't because obviously in nemesis the next movie he's back to having uh the cybernetic eyes so it did revert and for, again for me that was powerful because it's a big trope especially in comic books where you know people with disabilities just miraculously get fixed and everything's fine and forgotten and it drives me mad um, because no one well that's the big one for me yeah uh, but there's plenty of them um because disability seem it seems to be okay in 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 fandom and literature and stuff for disabilities to get erased because disabilities are seen as a bad thing so it's okay that that, that person's not disabled anymore right because he wants to be disabled we fix them and it drives me mad because my disability is not something to be fixed disabled people are not something to be fixed um and for me star trek gets that and has handled it generally generally pretty well uh, there have been some iffy moments throughout the years in certain um, series but generally um, star trek has handled disability in my book very well and that's probably my top moment for it 
Well, that's always been the thing I've loved about Star Trek is the inclusivity. All right, there's the thing in the original series that females can't be captains of ships, which yeah, obviously <laughs> what? by next generation is not it's a thing. It's by the anymore. movies. But, yeah. The, in the, yeah. But um, yeah, it's always been really good at inclusivity. And I know everybody cites the first interracial kiss, which I don't think mm. it technically was, but it was the first yeah, prime time network show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But you've got all that. I've always said that if you know more people had just watched Star Trek as a kid, we'd live in a much better world. For real. For real. But um, but no, like I think insurrection in general is. You know, you get that. You know, Picard, sorry, gets a girlfriend, and uh, you know, he goes on his rebellious uh, uh, insurrection, which is what yeah. it was. You know, you see the the crew sort of taking on the sonar, who are a very forgettable villains. I mean, um, F. Murray Abraham does a great job as being the villain, but the sonar are never. I think they're mentioned once in Star Trek again after we've never seen them before. And then I think they get mentioned once in a series, in like Deep Space Nine, because it gets established in that movie that they produced the drug that the Gem Hadar use for the Dominion. So it's sort of mentioned. Uh, so it's just, it's just sort of like, I mean, I guess you don't see them again because they all go home, don't they? Yeah, um, I do like that they all go home. That it's yeah, with the exception of F. Murray Rimmel, I like that you've got Greg Henry as the other guy who, like, you know, yeah. You, when she sees him, she's like, you were kind of thing, and they... Golna, yeah. Yeah. And I love that. Um, it's another film in which Anthony Zerb has a horrible head-related death after Licence to Kill, where he's uh, <laughs> has his head expanded till it explodes, so... Yeah. It, it, it's Arrow, another Arrow. installment in that, like, you know, niche cinematic yeah. universe. Do, do you know that apparently, I don't know how true this is, but I'm going to say it anyway, Apparently, Patrick Stewart was pushing for Brian Blessed to play that role. I know that Shatner as, was as, pushing for Sean Connery in Final Frontier, wasn't he? As well, that's why it's called Shuck. Well, that's why it was called Shakari. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, he was. He apparently was interested, but in the end, didn't do it. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I think he was tied idea. to another film, wasn't he? Might well, be Indiana Jones Brian, by that point. Could you imagine Brian Blessed in, in, in Star Trek? That'd have been amazing. <laughs> But awesome. All right, then, your number eight. Uh, my number eight is uh, is ge- uh, Generations. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, like, again, this was my number 11. This was quite low down for mm. me. Um, mm. I will let you go first on this one. <laughs> okay, so Generations um, came out at a particularly difficult time in my life. Uh, my parents had just split up, and I was sort of trying to come to terms with that and you know the sort of destabilizing nature of what was happening in my life because i was like 10 um and star trek always kind of gave me that stability these characters and my dad took me to see um generations around about this time and it was only the second film i'd ever seen in the cinema as well and we went to see it at the cinema and uh you know it was obviously you know, the first Next Generation movie and, uh, you know, it was the, 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 the passing of the torch, which I always found really, really weird because it's like, well, the TV show's ended. Uh, but I guess it's, you know, the, the passing of the torch in the movies, obviously, but um, as a kid, it didn't make much sense to me. Um, but, yeah, but for me, it, these characters sort of 
gave me that stability and then now being in the cinema you know i freely admit generations has got its flaws um but and 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 you know it's written by the same guys that wrote all good things which was the, the finale of next gen which people often say that should have been the movie because it was you know so good but there was just something about being a 10 year old kid sitting in the cinema watching william shatner and patrick stewart as kirk and and, and picard coming together and like i say what was going on in my life at the time i just felt it made me feel very safe um so which is why i can never ever hate this film yeah because of that um and also it's actually a great movie i rewatched it like the other day like i think like less than a week ago and it's yeah again it's got its flaws it's it's you know it's handling of dr crusher being one of them i think she has like two or three scenes and then we don't see her again properly um which was kind of rubbish for gates mcfadden um with them being this big new movie and she's sort of like yeah we don't really need you she must have been on set for about 10 minutes um, we'll shove you in the water and then off you pop. <laughs> we'll shove you in the water. There's a scene in the uh, in um in the in sick bay where you talk about you know who who Soren is and then of course you you sort of help Jordy after he's he's been kidnapped. Um, and then I don't oh and then she does a bit of running around when they have to evacuate to the saucer. Well, that's kind of it. And I hate that because I love Dogs Crusher. Yeah, and I love Gates McFadden. Um. I think for me as well, part of the reason I love this film is the fascinating backstory that it's got in terms of production with like, because uh, it went into production 10 days after they finished filming. Next yeah, because there was a behind the scenes feature on the end yeah. of the next generation ending. Where yes. It, yeah. Is it Jonathan Frake walking about. around you saying, yeah. the rest of them yeah. are busy shooting our big movie, which we'll be able to see in the yeah. cinema next year. Yeah. But what's really fascinating is, and I use this term, I use this term quite, but I know it's probably kind of used quite liberally uh, being fascinating. But one of the things they wanted to do for this film was give the next generation guys new uniforms. And they gave them new uniforms, uh, but they didn't use them at the end because they filmed after about two or three days and the uniforms were terrible. So they had to stop using them uh, and threw them away. And that's why, why that film is a mishmash of next generation and Deep Space Nine uniforms. Um, Jonathan Frakes actually wears Avery Brooks's, you know, Captain Cisco's uniform. That's his actual uniform. That's why it doesn't fit him. He's got like a cut coming yeah. down here. It kind of um, and uh, LeVar Burton is wearing Colomini's uh, <laughs> uniform, which is, again, when you see it, it doesn't fit him. Yeah. The only two members of the crew that had their own uniforms, like um, Deep Space Nine Voyager uniforms, the jumpsuit designed for them, were Picard and Data because they were all meant to be wearing these new uniforms. And if you want to see what they look like, look for the toys. Because Playmates had to make uh, the toys right away. So all they were given were like costume design sketches. So Playmates rushed the production of the Star Trek Generations toys with the with the new uniforms and then put them out. And then of course, when people went to see the film, it, none of them were wearing it. And it's completely, it's, it's a complete mess. And I absolutely love it because it's mad. It's complete. And I was like 10, I was getting these toys for Christmas. Um, and I got like my Riker in his new uniform for generations. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, he doesn't wear this. What is this? And, uh, and like, yeah, it's just, it's a complete and utter madness. Um, 
and I love that. And I, again, there's these little behind the scene things that you just that it just makes me love the film more because it must have been a complete mind job to make it yeah. <laughs> from all sides. There is there is a tiny tiny scene. There's a there's a deleted scene that you can only find on YouTube. It's during Geordie's um inter like interrogation by Soren. Where he's where he's like laying unconscious on the Klingon ship, and he's we wearing the new uniform, and you can only see it like I say on YouTube in a really bad transfer from a video, so it's like skipping and doing all this other stuff, and it's like they obviously cut it from the film, so they had to go back and reshoot everything that they shot in these uniforms. <laughs> it's just like I love little things like that. Yeah. Um... I mean, I went to the cinema to watch my brother's my first big screen trek. Um, mm. I've still got the ticket. I went on the 24th of February, 1995. Um, nice. But, and I went like most people did because we were sold on the Kirk and Picard together. Mm. I had that poster mm. on my wall. I took, mm. yep. the, back in the days when the cinema, I'd leave the spare quad, mini quad posters lying out. So I took yep. that and had that poster on. I just, I don't know. It feels like as I've got older, it feels more and more like a missed opportunity. Um, I mean, I'll get oh, to yeah, I'll get to one of my big issues with it when we get to another film later on. Mm. Um, I think it was a mistake to try and force Kirk and some of the original crew in. I think if they wanted to do that, that should have been maybe the third or fourth film. I see what you say. I get the passing of the torch kind of thing but at the same mm. time it, it didn't feel earned. i think kirk deserved better yes they I didn't really know agree. what to do with him and so they were just like kill him yeah i that that did upset me actually he didn't for me he didn't need to die um, not like that if he was gonna die it need it didn't feel like the death that kirk deserved if that makes well, sense actually, well he actually that wasn't how he was meant to die in the original shot ending, he just got shot in the back by Soren. They actually shot that ending um, where he was on like the bridge and Soren comes back to shoot him in the back and just kills him. And they, they screened it to a bunch of you know test screeners and they all just went, are they joking? That's how Kirk dies? So they had to thoroughly get everyone back and just reshot it with a different death scene. And apparently it's still in the original novelization of the book. Uh, sorry, of the film. Sorry. Um, that he just gets shot in the back and that's it, he dies. Um, but yeah, I, I, even his death, the redo death, I still think is um, is a letdown. I mean, Shatner's also too, which is why he brought, he brought him back, back, back in his own movie. books. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah, sure. I just, I find this film quite dull. I'm hesitant to say this. I find Data really annoying in this film. I love Data, yes, no, but in is. this film, I'm yes. like, why, what, why? <laughs> It's too much. The, the the scene where he he really lets you know and he, he kind of malfunctions, but the whole thing with like Mister Tricorder and everything. I mean, I get that it's the 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 the, uh, the emotion chip is meant to be overloading his brain and he can't handle it. Um, but yeah, it's too much. It's I think when he locks much. up with fear, that's a really nice scene. That's yes, really that's interesting. Amazing. That's good. It's also to the point where I'm kind of like, just kill him, just kill him now. Yeah, yeah. If this is the, where we're going with data, I can't be doing with it. No. Um, but I mean, the the you talk about the old crew. The original plan from the beginning was it was meant to be Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah, and yeah, you which can is actually tell, obvious because Chekhov's you, like taking people to med base. Like you were meant to be McCoy, yeah. weren't you? 
yeah there's there's certain dialogue like when he's just like you know, you know Kurt's like hold it hold everything together while I'm away he's like he's like I always do it's like no mate Spock always did but apparently uh Leonard Nimoy turned it down because he read the dialogue and he's like you can literally give this dialogue to any of the characters this isn't Spock which is exactly what they did do um and then DeForest Kelly wanted to do it but apparently his health was seriously declining yeah. at this point and they couldn't get the insurance for him to travel to do it. Um, that's what I've read anyway. Um, again, the truth is probably somewhere in between, you know, whatever. But yeah, originally it was meant to be the three, but I actually kind of like that it wasn't because I think it makes, it, it kind of shows that it's just like, oh, we just want any old members of the, uh, the original crew, get them on for the Enterprise B. Um, and they got, you know, these well, Scotty and we'll have Chekhov there hanging around and, kind of i kind of liked that um but yeah it was meant to be those guys i did i did um, quite like scotty's i always do when he tells them to keep things together because in the original series it's amazing like the three top officers always went on away missions so scotty was the guy left in charge of the ship it's so. true actually yeah it's true um, um but yeah. yeah i just like i say i'll get into it more with when we get to another, another film, film later on yeah there's yeah. no mystery about what film it is i don't know why i'm being coy about it but anyway um yeah i just it sold itself on bringing two iconic captains together and then it kind of fumbled that as well yeah i yeah i get what you say i get what you say on that and, and like i say i freely hold my hand up that that it's got its, its issues and i accept them all um i'd rather kirk it, maybe got lost in the nexus again so it's ambiguous yeah, yeah i completely agree i completely agree the one thing for me that that that, that, will all, that is always a gut punch when I watch the film is when the Enterprise gets it. Yeah. Uh, because for me, the Enterprise D is iconic. It's my it's my Enterprise, um, and I know they had to do it because the Enterprise D was designed for four by three screens, TV yeah. screens, and it, they needed to get a new ship that was more uh, adaptable for sixteen by nine. Or um, screens, so they were like, "We got to get, we got to get rid of that shit, um, and we got to find a way of doing it." And, and I tell you what, though, the effect of the uh, of the saucer landing on uh, on Viridian Three still holds up. I watched it the other day, and I was like, "This is tense." I've seen this film hundreds of times. I know they're all fine, but I still think they're all going to get killed. <laughs> Do you know Riker's what I mean? It's great like, in that so scene as well. So I love good. that Riker gets that moment because obviously in in Kangaroo at Farpoint, his, his thing is separating the saucer, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah, do yeah. like that, you know, yeah. he's he's the first one on screen to separate the saucer, and then he's also the last one to do it for that yeah. enterprise. Um he's, in some ways I'm kind of like that maybe should have been Kirk's death, was like bringing down the enterprise. Yeah. Give him the George Kirk 2009 kind yeah. of yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's the kind of death one. I saw Kirk having, kind of like, or like I would have um, loved to... uh, Laura Dern in Star Trek, uh, Star Wars: Last Jedi, just yeah, plowing yeah, into yeah. something. Kind of, it, I could see Kirk going was, out that way. It did actually always bum me out. That we never saw, we never saw Kirk on that Enterprise. Um, but well, I remember when I was a kid watching it in the cinema, and they were like, "Oh, we're five minutes away from the what corporation? There's nothing we can do. There's nothing I can do." And I'm like. They're not, they're not going to destroy that, right? They can't do that. They can't destroy the Enterprise. I got quite agitated. I was I like, do. they're not going to destroy my Enterprise. It's like killing the character, isn't it? 
and it, it, well, it was, and it, and you know, when you when they separate the ship and stuff, I was still just like, nah, it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be fine. And then when you see the star drive blow up, I was just like, <laughs> I was just absolutely beside myself, um, because it was just, uh, you know, like I said, I was ten, and I was like looking for the stability. <laughs> <laughs> my enterprise blown to smithereens <laughs> but at least they all survived it's fine um uh but yeah i was i was still great and even now when i watch this i'm just like don't don't do it don't don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> yeah it's yeah like i say i just think again that cast deserved a better opportunity to go yes. out on their own and make their yes. mark without it, i it felt, i almost it, it's a little bit like all these sort of weird cameos you get in film, a bit like bringing Michael Keaton back for The Flash. You're not doing it because you need yeah. any Batman could have played that role. You're doing it's it because true. people are going to be like, Michael Keaton as Batman again. I I, I think you. But it felt like they didn't have the confidence that. in the next gen crew to let them do their own thing. I'm not saying they should have done because some again, my one of my Star Trek friends was like, they should have done First Contact first. I was like, that's too Trek. Yeah, for no, a first film out for them. Well, it should have been. It should have been all good things. Yeah, yeah. It all good been. things would have been would have been an absolutely incredible movie. Um, and it is. It stands up today. It's still one of the best. Well, it, it's it's ironic because for me, it's probably my favorite episode of Next Generation, and it's the last one. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's phenomenal. Um, and it's weird to think it was written by the same guys and was you know started shooting ten days after. And that you know, the, the generation started shooting ten days after that was. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah, well, that's not how it I, works, I can't it? help but feel there was a studio note that was like, you need to get these guys in, mm. and and sort of that's well, they, where it was. But but they also broke first contact, so you can't. Yeah, you know, can't. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but all right then, uh, my number eight was the motion picture. Oh no. No, so, mine's dead. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, your number seven. <laughs> uh, beyond. Yeah, Star Trek Beyond. That's my number seven as well. Fantastic. Um, Although, actually, wait, no, that means it's below Star Trek 09 for, for me. Yeah. Oh. Just well, not just, but I I like Beyond. Again, Beyond feels like an episode, which I like, and I mean that in a in the best possible way. Because again, when you say it feels like a great episode of the TV series, people are kind of like, really it feels a bit dismissive, and it's like, no, it's not. It's no, I it's not dismissive at all. But no, I get what you're saying. Um, for me, no, sorry, carry on. Sorry, and I, I think it was a return to form for them, and it's really a shame that there's not been a fourth one since. Um, mm. Again, they. I think Paramount mishandled the market in this one as well, because again, I think oh, it could have come out on an anniversary. Well, it was. It came out. It it, it came out in um, twenty sixteen. Yeah. In for the in the fiftieth anniversary year that it came out before. Yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? It's the fiftieth anniversary. <laughs> what are you doing? Paramount. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. And and actually the, the, the release of the film is very important because at that point Paramount and um CBS were these kind of separate entities, and there was something that was contractually obligated that Discovery couldn't come out until X amount of time after Beyond. Um, so it was like 
So you're not going to let Beyond come out for the 50th anniversary. And in doing so, that kind of scuppers Discovery possibly coming out for the 50th anniversary. You guys just need to stop it. (laughs) Whoever was handling it for both companies at the time, of course, since then, they've re-merged again. But um, yeah, I completely agree with you. The, 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 The... the marketing, the, the marketing, and the the uh, the whole kind, the whole concept of the way that film got released was absolutely backwards, and I think it did it a lot of harm. Yeah, because it was, most, it was the most. Yeah, I think coming after Into Darkness as well, a lot of the casual Star Trek fans dropped off because of that film. Um, mm-hmm. Possibly, it was too Star Trek for them, even though to fans it wasn't yeah. Star Trek. Um, I think that I think J.J. Abrams leaving and Justin Lin coming in, who, mm. like, everyone's like, they're getting a Fast and Furious guy to do it. Yeah. It's see, like, they're going to have Nitro in the Enterprise. See, for <laughs> me, like, Beyond... Nah, see, for me, Beyond is the most Star Trek. I, In fact, for me, out of the three movies, it's the only one that really does feel like Star Trek. Yeah, And I think that's because uh, Simon Pegg took hold of it, and with, with his mate, they wrote it. Um, and... I, and he's a, he. I know he's a big Star Trek fan as well as Star Wars, but he's a big Star Trek fan as well. Um, and I think he he understood it. Um, there are some absolutely incredibly poignant Star Trek moments in it. They there's the the scene between Kirk and McCoy where he's sort of talking about his birthday and how he's older than his dad now, and he's thinking about quitting Starfleet. And it was very remnant of not only the scene in. Um, Wrath of Khan between Kirk and McCoy that was very similar on Kirk's birthday. You know, Kirk feeling at a loose end, not knowing what he's going to do. Um, and then, but it was also very remnants of uh, of uh, Pike and Voice in the cage. Yeah, you know, this sort of two guys having a drink, close, or sorry, two friends, not guys, but two friends having a having a drink. And, and and talking about their, their feelings and how they feel in their life, in the point of their life. And it was very, it felt very Star Trek, that for me. Just this kind of, you know, acknowledging where you've come from, what's happened, how you're feeling right now, um, which was great. Uh, and then, of course, the other moment, which I was absolutely not prepared for when I was in the cinema, was the absolute blatant acknowledgement of Leonard Nimoy and, of course, Spock's death. Yeah, like I just couldn't. I could not deal with that. I I started crying my eyes out. My wife was sitting next to me. First Star Trek film she'd ever seen in the cinema. Uh, she does not like Star Trek, and I'm sitting there blubbering. <laughs> She's just like, "Why are you crying?" And I'm like, "Leonard Nimoy dead. Like Spock's dead." <laughs> what was like, that? And knowing that Anton Yelkin Yel- died as well, well. Um, but obviously yes. they acknowledge it with Spock in it. Obviously Anton died after. Mm. You the film say that came out, but there is a for Anton at the end. Well, you say that but actually towards right at the end in the final scene where they're having a drink. I don't know whether this was the, uh, on purpose or not, but when Kirk toasts to absent friends, the shot goes to Chekhov. Yeah, and frames him, and I'm like, see is that they, intentional? I wonder whether they re-edited it for that. Yeah, because I I thought that was a really nice finished moment. filming, but it, the film hadn't mm-hmm. come out, so they had time to go back no. to it. I thought mm-hmm. it was really nice. I love that he got a moment to shine in this. He had little moments to shine yes. in the other ones. I like that McCoy got moments to shine in this. I think mm-hmm. I know a lot of people 
I've looked at various like Star Trek fans who really mm-hmm. don't like this film, and part of their big problem with it is Kirk. And like Kirk would never get restless like that. Kirk would never want to leave being a captain. Blah blah blah. I'm like, but that's not Shatner's Kirk. This Kirk didn't have a father. Yes. Potentially, or there is a deleted scene where his brother is in it, but yeah, that is a deleted scene, and they changed the kid he drives past in 09. Yes, yeah, 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 was yeah. Meant yeah, to yeah, be yeah. his brother, uh, but obviously George, they, yeah, they changed the name that he shouts out with some ADR. So, yeah. as far as we know, in this world, he doesn't have a brother, so he grew up an only child. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We're guessing from the fact he steals the car in the 09 one that he doesn't have the best relationship with his uncle. <laughs> No, who's no, possibly left no. with a lot. So he's not yeah. that Kirk that everybody thinks he is. That's what I like about this, and especially by this film, is they get with the 091 and Into Darkness to a certain degree, it feels like they feel obligated to do their version, but with an impression of the previous version. So yeah. doing a bit of a Shatner, doing a bit of a DeForest Kelly, doing a bit of a Nimoy. Yeah. And in this one, it feels like they finally... And you've got those wonderful little moments like Spock and McCoy being kind of like, well, we'll face into yeah. the other kind of thing. And then Scott yeah, and Spock yeah, yeah. being away. He's like, well, that's just typical. And the whole thing about <laughs> you gave your girlfriend a tracker. Yeah. Well, yeah. What I see for me, because I felt like they actually gave Chris Pines Kirk some actual character development in this film. Yeah. You know, they allowed him that he had been captain for three years and that he had had this life of being a captain and he actually lived it. For me, the restlessness actually felt more like Kirk than anything because we know that Kirk can get restless. Like not from, you know, his first love is being captain of the Enterprise and obviously this version doesn't have that. But the core of the character, for me, was the first time we actually saw it with Chris Pine because they allowed him to to actually have some depth, not just be this cheeky guy that, thinks he's all arrogant and sleeps like, like sleeps with all these women and, and stuff like you say, trying to be the, the chat that is the, the, the Kirk that's on the surface in everyone's brains. Like for me, this is actually what Kirk is, someone who deeply cares about the people around him, but also does is trying to find his place in the world. And yet it is then um, influenced by the fact that he has had a different life. So that's why he's maybe making different decisions, but it feels like the core of the character in this movie is the most Kirk that he's ever been in any of these movies. And it's, yeah. It's like when you look at Elseworld versions of Superman. Essentially at yes. the end, all Elseworld versions of Superman come back to being a good Superman. You may yeah. start out as a darker Superman or an yeah. evil Superman, but there is that core thing in him. And there is that core thing in Kirk. Yes. It's it's gen- almost for want of a better term, it's genetically in him. But this yes. Kirk's just more restless. He achieves things and then gets bored. And I like yes. the idea of a Kirk that's been on this three-year mission and he's just bored with it now. Yeah, yeah. I you was know, expecting it to be exciting and battles and that, and it's all science and, you know, Episodic. diplomatic missions and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Yeah, and I like that. And, I, and I he think takes that, his yeah. entire crew being in danger for him to realise that, no, this is where he belongs, this is his family, this is his place within the universe. Yeah. In some ways... It's quite nice that this is to date the last Kelvin timeline film because it's a very nice end, especially well, I, now I, with yeah. Anthony Elgin not being with us yeah. anymore and that. Yeah. 
Well, I, I've said I've said to people, I I don't think we need another. I I, I really I, don't. I'd happily I, I see another people. one, but I mean, part of me hopes that we don't because I really don't want to look at what they had as the Enterprise A at the end. For me, it's the ugliest Enterprise that has ever been designed. Enterprise J, from uh, notwithstanding from you know, future Enterprise they had at one episode, um, but the, their Enterprise A for me was just a horrible eyesore of uh, what Matt Jeffries had, had done in the you know the original design. Um, but other than that, I mean, this is a small quip, really. Uh, but yeah, I don't think we need one. I feel like they were all set in their places. Like you say, we won't have Chekhov because JJ Abrams has said as long as he's producing it, they won't recast. Which no, I don't think they should. Do. They'd have to write it no. off that he joined a different yeah. ship, or yeah, yeah. But it, it, and I, but, I, but also another thing, I, what, what I really love about this movie is it doesn't reference into darkness at yeah. all. You could easily watch Star Trek 09 and then go straight to Beyond. <laughs> like it doesn't reference the it, it references you know um, uh, Star Trek 09, but none of the events in, in it's adopted. That's kind of how I feel about generations. You could go from undiscovered country to first contact and not feel like you'd lost anything, other than the ship being destroyed. But you could easily just put that as you know, oh, this is our new, ent- you know, this is our new enterprise. Yeah, like yeah. New I, uniforms I, suddenly appearing, kind of. Thing. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with this. Yeah. You can go from 09 to this one and not feel mm. like you missed. It's not even like um, Alice Eve's character carries over. She disappears as well. Yeah, which I think she was meant to, because I actually really liked her. In, in I did. I, I just don't right. think they had anything to do with her. And I think it, because I know that Carl Urban wasn't going to come back, or I'd read that no. Carl Urban wasn't going to come back unless they gave him something more substantial to do. Because yeah. I obviously with these films they wanted to give a horror more to do, rightly so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Completely. it's amazing how little the horror is actually in the original series when you go back and watch it, and how many episodes yeah, she's true. not in at all. Yeah, um, you remember being this big thing, and you know, rightly so. Michelle Nichols, great iconic within sci-fi, mm-hmm. but actually mm-hmm. hardly in that original series, and Chekhov and Sulu. Aren't in as much well, as you remember him being either. Well, Chekhov was brought in because Su- because George uh, Takei had to go and do a movie. Yeah, that's why he got brought in because well, that, and they I wanted mean, to think... cash in on Beatlemania, didn't they? That's why they gave him that well, Beatles wig. And yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, um, I know what you mean. They wanted to give um, uh, um, Ahura uh, more to do, and of course, she had that actress had star power by this point. Yeah, um, because you know. She was in Avatar and Marvel films. Well, she has. She, uh, no, she was. Yeah, by this point, um, we had uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, but even in the O'Neill but... one, they give her more to do, and yeah. as a yeah. result, one of those core three has to suffer, and it's never going to be Spock or Kirk. So sadly, it was no. McCoy. Yeah. He suffered the fate that most other Star Trek Doctors do, apart from McCoy, <laughs> of being kind of like the mm. sidelined, bay, yeah, sidelined guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I say as as it. I think it has an ending. I don't think we need a fourth one. I've said, no. I've, and of course, by the sounds of it, we're not going to get one anytime soon. Um, well, there's something kind of fitting as well about three original, three seasons of the original series, three movies mm-hmm. for this crew. I mm-hmm. I wouldn't be bothered if they came back in like another five, ten years and did, started doing the older crew again. But I don't think we need it. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, Strange New Worlds is filling that void. I think Star Trek works better on... I mean, it was part of the thing that Nemesis suffered from. By that point, everybody had Star Trek fatigue. Enterprise wasn't 
working. No. Insurrection had underperformed. Nemesis. Yeah. You know, I can't remember how well it performed financially, but it underperformed. I don't think it performed very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then by the time of Nemesis, it was pretty much a dead duck anyway. Mm-hmm. And then it came out over here against like Die Another Day, which was James Bond in his 40th year and all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Up yeah. Against yeah. Yeah. It instantly. I think we've got a nice ending for this crew. And the ideas they've had, like time travel so that Kirk can be with his dad so they can get Chris Hemsworth in. It wasn't time travel. It's come out now how it was going to happen. Um, it was going to be that in the moments, and it makes completely no sense, that apparently before the Kelvin blows up, even though we see him go flying, um, George Kirk was going to somehow um, save his patent in the patent buffer, like Scotty did in Relics in Next Generation. So they were going to come across the salvage of this transporter unit somehow from the Kelvin, and inside was going to be the patent. Inside the patent buffer was going to be the patent for George Kirk, and they were basically just going to rematerialize him. Yeah, I'm glad you wouldn't have entered that. Yeah, yeah, awful. And again, you would have had to sideline McCoy, probably Spark. Yeah, nobody else would have got was... any screen time. The only thing no. they could have done is been like, "Yeah, Chekhov's down in engineering. We just never see him, and that's how you write him yeah. out." But it's just, yeah. it yeah. it's yeah. a nice ending. They're all together. They're at a party. They're celebrating. We get to see yeah. the Enterprise being rebuilt, regardless of your feelings on the design of the ship. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. you get to see it. You know that. That's the one where each of them does a little bit of the speech, isn't it, at the end? Yes. They space the final frontier, which yeah, feels yeah. nice. It, it's almost, to a certain degree, the end the Next Generation crew should have had. Yes. It feels like that. Just, it, you yeah. know, they're at a party, they're going on, they've got new crew members, they've got the girl they met mm-hmm. on the planet, they've got one of the little aliens that had attached itself to Kirk when he beamed out at the beginning. Yes. Yeah, the little joke about they still can't get him to wear pants. Yeah. Oh, and that's we we haven't even talked about Jayla. I mean, she was great. He was yes. a great character, and um, Idris Elba was a great villain. And I loved that they tied it to um, Enterprise era um, crew members. You know, yeah. them being makos. In the, I think um, he was great. Um, I think they needed more of him, but at the same time, I don't know how much more of him they would have needed. He gets that. He really shines in the final moments for his character. Yeah. He's a bit, it could have been anybody before then. It, annoyingly, I had the, uh, the the twist spoiled for me before I went to see it, that he was, you know, a human from, from that era. As well. And I was, I was really, really annoyed because I was like, because oh, I love the fact they made him a Mako, which, you know, if you watch the third or fourth season of Enterprise, you know, they're, they're a thing, you know, they're this, militarized sort of um a, a wing of starfleet that kind of are meant to go in and mop up you know that kind of stuff um and i kind of liked that he was this guy that, that didn't know how to be a captain because he's like well i was i'm a soldier and now you're giving me a captain's chair i, know, I never went to the academy i can't i don't know what i'm doing you're really going to be diplomatic and like hang out with all these people right you know, they they mentioned the romulan war which you know we still haven't seen um and what what actually makes it quite interesting is, in theory, then Kroll is still wandering around the, the prime universe yeah. because his transformation all that happened before the the the, the 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 change in the timeline. 
So he still could technically be out there in the yeah. prime universe. I, I find that quite interesting. Um, but, but I yeah. like that. You've got a horrible <laughs> yeah. death of an ensign where she gets yeah. put in the machine, and that's yeah. horrible because that character does not deserve it. Not saying that any character deserves it. No, even no. like the ones that get drained of their life force. Yeah, yeah. That's Did that's that almost movie? as nightmarish as the Borg stuff. Is it that movie? Oh, mate, we'll get into that. Um, or is it Into Darkness? I know that Heather. Oh, I forget her name now. You know the 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 main actress from the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Oh, Heather um, Langenkamp. Yeah, she's in one of them as oh, a she? as a like as a, a heavily. Makeup's alien. I oh, can't remember cool. if it was in darkness or in because I believe her and a member of her family it could be a husband or something. They that's what they they do. They do like makeup and prosthetics or something, uh, or they did at that point. So yeah, they were working on that movie. So they just like piled loads of latex on her to put her in the corner of a shot. And I'm like, you know, she's horror movie royalty. And like, <laughs> I love I like love that. stuff like that. I love Christian Slater popping up in Undiscovered Country. I love, oh, all right, you know, he's controversial now, but Brian Singer popping up in Nemesis. Yeah. Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. In that episode of Next Generation, he's just playing a fish. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Awesome. All right, then. Uh, moving on to your number six. Ah, Search for Spock. Same as mine. Oh. Um, yeah. This film's fine. It is literally. The definition of fine. It's not bad. It's not particularly good. It's just fine. <laughs> hard, hard disagree. This film's rad. I love it. And for me, it's one of the greatest examples of the of why the odd numbered Star Trek thing doesn't work for me because I think it's it's a really good sequel to Wrath of Khan. I think it picks up a lot of threads. I think it 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 allows Shatner and the rest of the crew because obviously Spock is so sidelined in this film yeah. even though he's the, the name of it um, it allows them to sort of try and find themselves without Spock and without Leonard Nimoy you know in front of camera um, I think we you know obviously the recasting of Savak is quite jarring um, because she's so different um, but I think yeah because I, I know it, there's a dispute as to why Kirstie Alley didn't come back isn't there that they said she wanted too much money. She said that it was just she was so busy with Cheers. She she would have loved to have yeah. come back, but she couldn't fit it in. No, I I yeah, I, I think I'm I'm sure the truth is somewhere in between. Yeah. You know? Um Yeah, it's gonna but, be a combination of the two, isn't it? <laughs> Robin Curtis does a, a decent job playing a Vulcan. Like she's yeah. good at it. It was just difficult to accept her as as um Savak in some aspects. Um but I think, as I say, I think the film is great. I think that the, the whole idea of, you know, Kirk coming back, he's wounded. The Enterprise is wounded. He's lost his best friend and he feels lost. He is lost. He is a lost person at the beginning of that movie. And, you know, and then he finds out, you know, that whole scene with, uh, with Sarek when they have the Vulcan mind node and he makes him relive those events. And you hear that emotion. Again, it goes into that how good Shatner is in that role because the emotion that he gives in that, you know, he lost his brother. You know, there are certain sections of the Star Trek fandom that believe that there is actually, you know, genuine love, you know, romantic love between these two. 
And although I don't personally subscribe to it, I do think there are there are these sort of elements that you could pick up on that. It could be construed as that. Yeah, I think there, I, think I don't think this it's it's not sexual love. It's no, it's no, but no, it's like yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. Say, yeah, yeah, I'm aware there and is I, also I, a certain element out there that do ship them in that way. <laughs> I yeah, but I mean, there's an element within that that goes further. It's more than that it's brought it's love that these two were in love with each other and and like i say i don't necessarily subscribe to it myself but i think in in this film in particular you can definitely see where people could interpret yeah. it that way i mean to me i see it as he's lost a brother it's that someone wonderful who, moment you know, where sarah says why did you leave my son out there and he's like well and, why didn't you do give you know follow his yeah, final wishes like, it's like and it's I just like I, 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 yeah, I would have given. And you can my see life. it on Shatner. Yeah. He's like, shit, what have I done? Yeah, and he's like, I would have given my life if it meant saving yeah. his. And you believe that. And like I say, in that mind meld moment, he's just like you know, he utters Spock in that kind of pain. It's it's very real. I think I know it's not it's acting, but um, but it's it's very real, and I think that 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 this film allows these characters to sort of um, explore that pain and of loss, but then that kind of realization: oh my god, I can I can get this person back. You know, he said, you know, I gave the noble, I left my the noblest part of myself on that planet. You know, he says that, and you know, he finds out there is chance of a resurrection. There is a chance to have my friend back and he's just like i am literally going to torpedo my entire life to get this person back if there is a shred of chance yeah that i can get this person back i and i don't care what happens to me i genuinely don't you know he even sacrifices the enterprise yeah for hit for spock and it's like yeah that that that's powerful and we get some like i say but then of course he Finally, after so you know, with Rahul Khan, and then you know, saying you know, facing the no-win scenario, and he does um, finally, and in this, he does as well. He sacrifices not just the Enterprise, but his son, his own, like his own son. Yeah, and he just, oh. <laughs> yeah. I I think I undersold this when I said this film is fine because I do agree with you. <laughs> I think it is better than fine. I don't think it's as good as Khan, and I don't think it's oh. as bold as the motion picture, but. Mm-hmm. and I'm aware that I've got the motion picture sort of in the middle of my list but mm-hmm. we'll get into mm-hmm. that when we get to it DeForest Kelly is amazing in this next level mate next level him dealing with not really knowing what Spock's done to him knowing Spock's done something to him but not being able to put the pieces yeah. together him sort of having Spock moments I love those little moments where he's mm. being Spock like you know like things aren't illogical mm. and that. he's like my god I'm yeah. starting to sound like <laughs> well, there's that bit where he, where where Nimoy dubs him, yeah, doesn't he? And I thought that was very clever. Um, and just yeah. how harassed he feels at this violation that you know he misses Spock. He's heartbroken as well. Yeah, he is. For, all, for all the kind of like you know you green blooded freak stuff from yeah, yeah, yeah the original yeah. series and even into the yeah. movies and even after this. But at the end of the day, he is as heartbroken as Kirk is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's lost his friend as well. And but him being McCoy, he can't necessarily show it. And just then the annoyance mm-hmm. that 
you know, he could be key to bringing Spock back. Yeah. <laughs> that green blooded son of a this is <laughs> this is his revenge for all those arguments that he lost. <laughs> I'm like, so no one else but DeForest Kelly could have delivered that line. No. Like in the way that he did. Um Well, could you and, imagine uh, a lesser actor doing that? This is what I mean about I think I think because they were TV actors, for want of a better term, I mean, mm. DeForest Kelly had been in lots of TV and films before Star yeah. Trek, usually mm. as a bad guy, which is another mm. thing that is so impressive about how warm he is mm. as this crotchety old good guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just how good he is in this. Some of his performances, are, I would say, are reward worthy. I put them up there with any of those showy Oscar performances as like wiping the floor with them because they were in a Star Trek movie. Well, this is it, isn't it? Um, And I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And and he, you know, that bit when he's in, he's in Spock's quarters in it before it's revealed. And then, you know, he gets pulled into the light and he's just like, Salaya, take me to, take me to Mount Salaya. And it's just like, oh, but the way he's got that tense look on his face that again, only, only uh, DeForest Kelly could do, and he did so many times in the original series as well, um, was wonderful. Um, you know, there are characters that do get kind of undersold in this film, though. Like Ahura, she pretty much goes missing for most of it. Yeah, because uh, again, I don't think it. she was going to come back until she realised how, even though it was a small part, how key it was with her yeah. helping the Enterprise yeah. escape and then being at the yeah. rendezvous point at the end. And... Um, so yeah, that she gets kind of underserved there. I mean, it's a great scene in the, the transport room, fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, and I love that that, that also uh, speaking of cameos, I love I love that they put Janice Rand, yeah, at the beginning when uh, like a completely word like, like you know no dialogue, you know, just giving her disapproving kind of shake of the head when she sees the Enterprise all man. I, I do like and, that her and Nurse Chapel pop up in like essentially cameos yeah i think yes um voyage home they're both there at the end yeah they are speaking well, parts i think they had speaking parts yeah. and they got cut out <laughs> chapel chapel does speak in voyage home but literally yes just, she does yeah like a line but yeah um and and then things like that i think that's really really nice um we get introduced to the excelsior which um i believe the original plan was that suli was going to become the captain of the excelsior in this film um, and that his his presence on the Enterprise in Wrath of Khan was meant to be just like ceremonial before he took over as captain. Uh, but Shatner apparently, again, the urban legend goes that Shatner sort of went, no, not having that. He's, you know, I'm the captain. I'm not having him be a captain of his own ship. He's, you know, he's my, no, I'm the star. I'm not having that. Um, which apparently put, uh, again, it's an urban legend. You never quite know how true it is. Um, but that, that apparently... I yeah. can kind of see it with Shatner. I mean, mm. I like Shatner the actor. I like Shatner in certain things, but he does also have this air of yeah, Shatner about him. Yeah, an entitlement, but, um, and and you know, to a certain degree, possibly rightly so. He thought he was the star of Star Trek, and obviously, everybody in the original series and everybody gravitated towards Spock. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that would irk him. It's a bit like the you know alleged Adam Westbert Ward feud of. Yeah, but um, well, yeah. So we've got the Excelsior, which is this really like for me was a very logical next step yeah. from like you know Matt Jeffrey's Constitution class onto what was the next version of the 
the new ship of, of, of Starfleet is going to be. Um, and I really, really dug that. Um, and also, uh, I don't know how many Star Trek comics you read, but Star Trek comics had such a hard time during these movies. It was so brilliant. DC did a run of Star Trek comics that kind of covered like pretty much all the way through up to like Star Trek V. Um, so it started with with uh, with Wrath of Khan. So of course they did Wrath of Khan, but then they carried it on afterwards. So in Wrath of Khan, you know, obviously Spock dead, but in you know in Wrath of Khan afterwards they decide that Kirk's going to be Admiral, but he's going to be taking command of the Enterprise again, and Savak's going to replace him, and David's going to be about, and they you know they go off on some adventures. Then Star Trek Three happens, and they have to pivot, and Spock comes back, but the Enterprise has been destroyed. So they're like, "Well, what do we do here? Oh, we give them the Excelsior." So the Star Trek comics after next uh, after Search for Spock is Kirk is back in command of, of the as an admiral, but he's in command of the Excelsior, and Spock goes off and takes command of some Vulcan ship, and they go and have some adventures, and then Voyage Home happens. And they have to pivot again. It's so brilliant, mate. Honestly, they each have these reset issues. It's, it's, like, it's like all those Dark Horse comics that came after Aliens, isn't it? And then Alien 3 up, yeah. and they had to go back and change the names of Hicks and Newt so they could try and force it to tie in with Alien yeah. 3. So good. Because, of course, like after Voyage Home, they then had in the comics, they had to deal with the fact that they were, you know, outlaws and they'd been on this, you know, Vulcan for all this time with this. Klingon ship, and obviously an Enterprise A now is there. Oh, great! Now we got to figure out. So, will they? <laughs> it's so good how they handle it. It's so brilliant. It's just they're, they're worth a read just to see how these poor comic creators have to deal with this ever changing thing every couple of years. They've you know they've done like you know forty eight issues or whatever or twelve. Issues, how many issues it was? And it's like, nah, mate, it's been another Star Trek movie. <laughs> I know what they've done now. <laughs> it's brilliant. That's it. You think they'd have learned from the Star Wars comics, but uh, <laughs> it's with but a hard time to... of dealing with up and drive issues for three years with no Han Solo. <laughs> well, that that's it. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I mean, but you know, going back to search for Spock, though, I think you know the way they brought Spock back was great. I think giving Nimoy the director chair was a smart move because even though he's not massively in the movie at all, he has like his hand is there guiding it. You know, it's a good first film for him because, like you say, he isn't in it much. Yeah. So he can, no. you feel Spock's presence throughout, but not Leonard Nimoy's. And that's great. Yeah. And it's, it's, and you know, the ending. And again, when the ship gets destroyed, it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, Kirk's son, as well, as we've already said, the gen, you know, the Genesis planet exploding and seeing this knock on effect that started in Rafa Khan, which, of course, this was the, the middle of the, the, the what was dubbed the, the Genesis trilogy. I don't think there was ever an official one. Um, no, I think they did finally it, release it, them recently on Blu-ray as the Genesis trilogy, oh, really? didn't they? I think right. so. Didn't know, didn't know. You know, but another way a, to get Star Trek fans to rebuy yeah. the thing they've already got. <laughs> but I think it's a worthy sequel to yeah. Wrath of Khan. I think it really is. When you know, when you consider how beloved Wrath of Khan is, to come after that, you know, to, to release a movie after that, how do you deal with that? Especially after what was all set up in it. And I think it does this. I think it does the job really, really well. And I yeah. do have a lot of love for this movie. I think they pivot in the right way as well because there's mm. no way they were mm. going to be able to build on Wrath of Khan. So no, no. In, in some ways, it's a smaller film. It's a much simpler story. Mm. You've got Klingons mm. back again. Christopher Lloyd is a Klingon, which I can never wrap my head around right. as a child. <laughs> so good, 
So apparently uh, it was meant to be Edward James Omos from, uh, you know, Valstar Galactica. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Blade Runner and many other great uh, great things. Um, but it, apparently they couldn't work it out. And then, you know, Christopher Lloyd came along and was like, I'll do it. And they were genius. I think he's so good as, as, as Kirk. He's so good. Like, he's a great Star Trek villain. Yeah. I, fantastic. He is he's a proper boot here Star Trek villain, isn't he? Yeah. And I mean that yeah. in the nicest possible way. Yeah. Yeah. But awesome. All right, then, you're number five. Boys Home. Same as me. There you go. <laughs> I, I wonder how different we're going to be in our top four. Obviously, one's going to be different. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um. Again, really nice, fun, breezy palate cleanser after what had come before. The idea of doing a time travel story, which they love doing in the original series. The idea mm-hmm. of them taking this so much more and leaning into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's around the same year as Crocodile Dundee as well, so sort of pivoting into that fish out of water. I think, yeah, and I think they paired the right people up as well. I think Scotty mm-hmm. McCoy together are great. I think yep. Chekhov and Ahura together are great. I yep. love Chekhov on the street asking where the, the uh, nuclear weapons are. Well, I mean, that's where we got the nuclear weapons line, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and then we got, and again, this is one of my favorite stories from this film. The uh, you know he asks that extra like that woman yeah. where's the nuclear she goes, oh I don't know maybe it's across the bay in Alameda she wasn't meant to say that no she was an extra yes, they had they to then pay, pay her <laughs> yeah they did yeah because she was meant to just like go oh and just walk off but she said that and they loved it but then they had to like go here's your union card and you know we have to pay you money now <laughs> like and so you know, imagine having it. could you imagine now and nowadays with an extra went off yeah. like book and they'd replace him with AI. It's just like, oh, I can't be having that. Um, I love that. But yeah, so we got the... the Perhaps that's why they want AI. Perhaps it's all that extra's fault. (laughs) Yeah. For years, they've been trying to work out the way to do it. Yeah. Keep them them in their place. Oh, terrible. Um, But I I completely agree with you about the pairing up. I think they did a great job. Obviously, keeping Kirk and Spock together, which they kind of needed to do because this was obviously the first time they were back together. Um, so we wanted to have that kind of pairing. Um, you so know, it's still is Spock not quite Spock as well? Which no, he's not. Which was lovely, and they brought back Amanda. I mean, how nice was that? Right yeah. at the beginning, we'd had Sarek back uh, yeah. a few times, and we'd get him, we'd get him again. But bringing back Amanda, that's lovely. Like I thought that was a lovely thing, you know, um, to talk about the human side of of him, which was this important thing. Um, and it's a lovely, lovely little bit on Vulcan at the beginning. And I love the fact that they kept him on the Bird of Prey and made that part of the story. Yeah. You know, that's what they used to go in time travel. And that's why it was going to be a bit iffy because it was like, oh, we've done this before in like a Federation starship. We've never done it in a Klingon Bird of Prey. Like, oh, how are we going to do this? Um, which I thought was really, really nice. Um, and then we get that really weird CGI, early, you know, mid 80s CGI. Uh, sequence when they go around the planet and they sort of go around the sun and do the time travel thing we get that really weird thing with the guy falling yeah <laughs> it's kind of like model of like whatever <laughs> it's bonkers. i do have you seen the center seat series that's on amazon freebie yeah where they talk about the cylinder about yeah it just looks a bit crap i actually quite like it because 
you 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 expect a certain thing from an alien vessel or an alien being or that. Yeah. The fact that it's just a cylinder, a black cylinder floating through space. Mm-hmm. I like the what, weird simplicity of that. It's a bit like Dark Star, like, where the aliens are ball, a beach ball. Yeah, but it's it's what's good about it is again, this is a film. Another uh, film that doesn't have a villain. Actually, it does have a villain. I, I changed that. It does have a villain, and the villain is twentieth century Earth. It is a complete chance for them to, you know, we get that whole thing of fish out of water, but it's the it's the, the you know the future utopian humans coming back to a time when humans were like, which we still are, unfortunately, completely ruining the planet. And they're just like, what are these people doing? Do they not know they're killing everyone? Do they not know what they're doing? It's complete commentary on on how we view our own planet. And you know, the alien probe, not a villain. You know, it's trying to talk to the whales, doesn't understand that. It's it's what it's doing is harming the planet. It doesn't mean to. It's just it's just yeah. trying to talk to the whales. Um, so they managed to tell this really compelling story with really high stakes. Um, because again, it's the only one of the trilogy where Earth is actually at risk. So it's huge stakes. No, no real villain other than our own stupidity in yeah. in our in our race. Couldn't be more Star Trek. What's more Star Trek than that? Honestly. That's it. The the best Star Trek has a political message at the middle of it. It's not smashing you in the face political message. Um, and I think they even said after this that like it was a massive turning point in like you know the slaughtering of whales. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it didn't eradicate it because you know it is just a Star Trek movie at the end of the day kind of thing. But it did make more mm-hmm. people conscious of it and aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's great that it takes that message and does something with it. Mm. Um, I think the chemistry is great. I love Shatner's relationship with the Doctor, whose name has completely gone from my head. Gillian something. Yeah. I like that relationship with her. I I love the whole, you know, no, I'm from Ohio. I just working out of space. Mm. Or I'm from, is it Ohio or Iowa? I can't remember which name. Iowa. Iowa, sorry. Iowa. Um, I love that stuff. Um, I think she's a great character as well. I like that she gets brought forward in time, but then isn't shoehorned into the future films. They actually find a no. natural way to write her out of that as well. Would have been a completely different movie had they cast who they wanted to, though. What, Eddie Murphy? Yeah. How mad is that? <laughs> what it's... a completely nuts movie that would have been. <laughs> 80s Eddie Murphy running around Star Trek. It's one of those things I'd like to see it, but I don't think it would have been the same film at all. I no, mean, it would not have been it. No. no, it's kind of like Nicolas Cage's Superman. It's kind of like, I want to see it, but... Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if it was yeah. doing this version or that version, I think I would take the version I know it's and love. Good. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like finally seeing Richard Donner's Superman 2. It's, like, it's cool, but I'm so used to this one now that... <laughs> I completely agree. I'll, I'll take what I've got. I mean, agree. I'd always rather a film exist than doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Whether it's then kind of like that was the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But you know, at least yeah. I saw it. Um yeah. I mean it would have been an interesting idea. I don't think Star Trek needs that kind of stunt casting. No, I completely agree. Which I know Eddie was... Murphy was coming at it from as a fan. I think mm. give him a cameo, a la Christian Slater, mm-hmm. Brian Singer, whatnot. Mm-hmm. But mm. I just Mm. Yeah, and that character they had in mind for him sounded awful. Yes, it did. It was not not good. I think they definitely made the right decision. 
and uh, like you say she's a great character you know um she's sort of like the uh the resident you know 80s 20th century native that kind of helps them navigate through uh the complexities of uh, 20th century san francisco um and that's great like i say it's all great it's good it's a good film yeah. um like you say it's a good pal- palate cleanser after like the 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 darkness of the, the previous two movies it, it's a good way to bring um like because they're all fish out of water so in that respect the, the struggles that spock's going through seems less because they're all in trouble yeah. they're all finding it all weird being around so he he's his his kind of reassimilation into their lives is uh is kind of made a bit easier um yeah I've, i i don't have bad you know and whales we get whales there's, there's, yeah. there'd be whales um and uh yeah i don't really have a bad word to say about this movie really um it's probably the best yeah. one of the original cast films as well for giving each one something to do Yes, and absolutely. They, they don't get yeah. equal screen time, but you feel like everybody gets their moments. Like Sulu gets captured and he gets his moment. Mm. So you've got Chekhov and. Was yeah. it Chekhov gets captured? I can't remember which one. Chekhov gets, Chekhov gets Chekhov captured. Gets captured, sorry. Yeah. But um, they, they've each got their own thing to do. You've got McCoy and Scotty going off to find the thing so they can build a tank to put the whales in. Yeah. Yeah. And he get that wonderful thing where he pretends to be this professor from, from, uh, from Scotland and he's just like. Hello, computer. It's <laughs> just so good. Jimmy Doohan is just phenomenal with that. that and he got those lovely little moments like Kirk trading in the gift that McCoy gave him. It's like, yeah. and he'll give it to me. It'll be a gift. He'll give it to me again in the future. Um, and 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 it proper cements itself as like you know not a capitalist society by going you know we don't really understand money. Yeah. We don't really get money. I like him yeah. on the street giving everybody ten dollars each. Yeah. <laughs> And then you know, they'd be like, you know, come on, just let's not all stand around, just disperse. And everybody's kind of like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> them getting on the yeah, bus, then getting straight off because they don't have the exact yeah. change. <laughs> and then, of course, we get the scene with the punk, um, yeah. who, of course, comes back in uh, in Picard season two. Oh, does he? Yeah, because Picard season two is a time travel uh, like season. They go back in. Uh, time to the year 2024 in San Francisco and uh, yeah they go on uh, a couple of characters get on a bus and he's sitting there yeah 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 oh, well, he works as a I think he's a but he's also in um, Spider-Man Homecoming oh is he yeah there's a there's a shot in Spider-Man Homecoming where there's that guy yelling at him going, <laughs> and behind him is like Kurt Thatcher which is his name stand there as like an old like holding holding a um, big uh Big sound, you know, sound system like over his shoulder. And stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I think it's because he worked. He works behind the scenes. Like, yeah. I think it, I can't. I think he's in his costume or something. Anyway, he he he's works. You know, he works in movies. That's what he does. And he works on Star Trek. And they just got him in because he looked the part for that particular role. So he's you know he's been around Hollywood ever since. So he's he's people he's accessible to find. So when they did you know the various things, it's like let's put him in there. I think he was working on Spider Man Homecoming. So they, you know, they were like, dude, you're the, you're the punk from, from Voyage Home. And it's just like, yeah, like, right, we've got to put you in there. <laughs> he should be the go-to guy for anybody that you need, like an obnoxious loud music player. Now it'd be him on his phone playing yeah. it out loud, but. But the, the bit in, the bit in Picard, um, they get on, they get on the bus and uh, he's got his, his music on really, really loudly and they look at him and he just goes, okay, okay, I get it. And everybody 
turns it off and then like feels his neck. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's genius. That, I just I loved it. I, I really need to it. get on Picard. That's my next one to watch. So yes, do it. But I will say, apart apart from that, season two is a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah, I've heard two schools of people that love Trek that are either like the third season's the only one worth watching. Others are like, no, you should watch the whole thing. Just know that the some third, of it's not as good as other bits. And the, the third season is the the final Star Trek movie we all wish, uh, yeah. next generation movie we all wish they had. But that's not yeah. what we're here to talk about. <laughs> no. All right, then let's move on. So you're number four. Motion picture. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so I think this is a wonderfully bold experiment that doesn't necessarily work as a whole. I think it is a wonderfully bold experiment that works beautifully. Yeah, no, that's fine. It's a gorgeous looking film. I just... And it's one that I've grown to appreciate more. For the longest time, mm. this was the bottom of my list. It was the boringest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Do you know what? For As a long I've time grown older was... and come to appreciate yeah. it, it's like, this film is gorgeous. The only thing I hate is their uniforms. They look like they're on a space cruise ship. Well, that, that for me, actually, when I, all the way through growing up, actually, this was always my bottom for, uh, for T- TOS movies because of the fact it looked so different. Like, from from ne- uh, from Raffle Khan onwards, they obviously had, like, the monster maroons or versions of it. So they, they look like they could be together. Whereas this one, you know, they look so radically different with the uniforms and sets and everything. Um, so for me, yeah, as I was growing up, it was the one that I couldn't always connect to. But as I got older, and I started watching it more and I realized that the, 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 the brilliance of it and it's, you know, I know that there are stories about, you know, Nimoy not being happy on set because he was like, you know, um, they care more about effects than story. Um, and of course, this film, you know, it was, it was it was born out of Paramount's attempt to bring Star Trek back as a series. Yeah, it was with phase, phase two. two, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and which which Spock was not going to be a part. Um, and in fact, the blueprint of stage two, of phase two became Next Generation, and you can see it in motion yeah. picture as well. But in, in the original plan for phase two, uh, Nimoy wasn't going to be in it because they only wanted to bring him back for a couple of episodes and pay him virtually nothing, so he refused to do it. And they wrote a new character, new Vulcan character called Zon, who was going to be like a younger officer. He formed the basis of what became Data, so he was going to be this kind of completely fish out of water character who didn't understand humans at all um and the actor who was going to play him actually played the station commander you know the the, the station that, that that gets taken by vija very early on the, the the federation um station the commander is like yelling for help he he was the guy cast plays on that was sort of like his yeah um, i think they talk about that in that center seat series yeah yeah that was his uh his uh uh, commiseration uh, prize uh, because you know he wasn't going to be in the movie because Nimoy when it became a movie Nimoy came back yeah because it was going to be a series um, wasn't it and then Star Wars yeah. happened and they were like let's make this a film yeah. instead well every well when well Star Wars changed the game yeah. for, for so many different industries uh, but obviously movies being the biggest one and it sent all the other movie studios scrambling and Paramount were looking about what they got and they had Star Trek, and that was already being prepped for a new series. Um, I mean, there was a lot of issues as well, but the sets were being built. That was the point. They were spending money on it. 
and they looked at it and they were like, can't we do something with this? Let's do something with this. Um, so they took the pilot script, which was called In Thy Image, I believe, which was basically what became motion picture about this alien thing kind of trying to you know, go to Earth and find its creator and stuff. And for me, that's why I love motion picture because it's so fundamentally Star Trek. And why it underperformed was because it wasn't this big, massive action film with space fights, but it was a, a philosophical story. And yes, it's probably about an hour too long, um, but the score is beautiful. Yeah. Like, and and I personally love the uh, the the shot at the beginning that gets lampooned everywhere, including on lower decks. If you've seen it, where you know Scotty and Kirk take the shuttlecraft to the Enterprise and just fly around it for like 10 minutes yeah. going off the new Enterprise because obviously it's been changed since the series. I love it. And the, the song, the music, sorry, the music to it is brilliant and because uh, it shows the importance of the Enterprise as a character yeah, as well and Kirk's love for it and his desire to be back in the set seat. Um, but then, of course, we get introduced to the new character, the other characters, Will Decker, who, you know, was the blueprint for Will Riker. Um, you know, Ilea, who is the blueprint for Troy and their relationship of, you know, being stationed on this planet from, you know, past relationship and he left her and all this other stuff and they're both in Starfleet, basically the same thing. Um, but at its core, it's a philosophical thing and, and of, you know, who are we? What are we doing here? Um, you know, the, the, the adversary, again, not really a villain, it does bad things, but it's not really a villain, it's a it's a it's an alien entity that's so different that the core concept is they don't understand each other and that's star trek right yeah. there you know they don't get they don't there's no communication they don't understand it you know who's your creator who is vija what is going on you know don't understand each other you know the, the klingons try and blow it up and they get you know yeah. sorted out right at the beginning um and uh yeah yeah i mean i put in my thing that it's a noble experiment to bring the enterprise to the big screen i think they chose the right route by going more 2001 than star wars yes i just mm-hmm. for me it's got the essence of star trek but it hasn't got that magic of the original series for me yeah, and i get I why can, there I are hardcore that. people who really really love it i 100 get it just mm. for me there's something missing. Mm. There's little moments like McCoy when he has to be beamed up and you've got the yeah. horrific scene of, you know, what we got back was barely alive with the two where it um, malfunctions, which is horrible. Poor, Sonak. <laughs> poor, poor, poor Lieutenant Sonak. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still want a Vulcan there. I bet you do. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, but again, that, that, that there's this, there's that wonderful scene because of course, you know, we find, um, Spock, he's been on Vulcan for ages, you know, he's completely separate, he's trying to purge his emotions, and then he gets drawn back into space. But all the way through, for a good chunk of it, when he comes back to the Enterprise, he's incredibly detached yeah. from them all, very detached. And, you know, Leonard Nimoy has always talked about how he played Spock minimalist. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, the, so minimalist to the point that the eyebrow arch was a big thing. When he did the eyebrow, you knew it was a big thing. It's a huge um, uh, change in the minim- minimalist performance. So when he goes off, you know, in the scene where 
he grabs the spacesuit, you know, Vulcan Netflix is that guy, goes in the spacesuit, goes out to try and connect with Vija to find out what his purpose is. When he gets back, when Kirk saves him, there's the scene in the in Sick Bay where Nimoy gives this breathtaking performance of minimalist emotion where he's trying to explain to Kirk who Vija is. And they do the things where he holds his hand. And bear in mind that up to this point, Kirk's been lost. He doesn't know where he is. He's this desk jockey admiral. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. He's feeling like, you know, I don't know, what am I even doing in Starfleet anymore? I'm not captain. And he realizes that the missing piece is Spock. Yeah. And they have that, that bit, that bit when he's just like, this, this is, you know, they, he grabs, Spock grabs his hand and he's like, this simple feeling is beyond Vija's comprehension. But what he really means is he doesn't mean the tactile contact of two hands. What he means is the connection, the bond between two people, the bond of friendship, the bond of, you know, years of friendship. And, you know, he plays it with this little subtle emotion in his voice. And it's just like, no one else could have done that. That's yeah. that's someone who understands that character. You know, this is why Paramount paid him the money to bring him back. Yeah. Because you couldn't have that kind of performance from anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I think part of the magic I'm missing is the chemistry between those two. I'm not saying the chemistry isn't there, but it's a different chemistry because they're obviously going yes. for a different... It's almost like they wanted to do serious Star Trek instead of the goofy, silly original series. Yeah. And I think yeah, absolutely right. they pivoted too far away from that. It's also yeah. really weird for me to hear the next-gen theme in an original series <laughs> movie. And I know, obviously, that's where it originated, and then they just liked yep. it so much they used it for next gen. But yeah, yep. it's just that weird it's, thing of like, you know, where's, where's Patrick Stewart? This isn't right. <laughs> it's a wonderful score. I, I listen to it quite often, actually. It's a wonderful score yeah. to listen to. Jerry Goldsmith just absolutely smashed it, as he always did. Um, but I do get what you mean. Every time I watch it, it's like, da, 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 da. I'm like, no, that's next generation. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't belong to you. <laughs> yeah. You might have had it first, but it's not yours. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but yeah, no, like I say, it's, it is a bold film. It's a big swing for it. It just doesn't wholly work for me. Mm. It, you know, it's not, I wouldn't skip any of the films if I'm doing a rewatch, but it's certainly not one I'd go to unless I was going to watch one through to yeah. six, and that's, 10 or 13. Yeah. And that's fair enough. And I know I've, I've been over my friends who like Star Trek. Don't, don't feel as strongly towards motion picture as I do. Um, I get, you know, a lot of them were like, oh, skip it. Just go it, it is kind of non-essential, isn't it? As well. Oh, it is. It's completely non-essential. Like, Everything feels out of touch with what came before and what came out. It's a bit like Goldeneye like that, to be fair. Mm. It's it's also the only film where they try to not... I mean, I know there's the bit where they are, you know, Kirk is at a loose end, but they try and hide the age. Like, yeah. in, in, in the timeline, uh, motion pictures meant to take place like a year or two after the Enterprise returned from its five-year mission. It's not meant to have been that long. But really, it's been ten years yeah. since they played the characters. They try and hide that, um, and I think they made the right choice in the next film where they were like, "Nah, we're just going to just like freely go into the fact that it's years later and they've all aged and make that thing." Need glasses and <laughs> all that yeah. stuff, but but yeah, like I say, it's it's a bold experiment that 
is successful and not successful at the same time. But yeah. right, my number four mm. is Star Trek two thousand and nine. Yeah. Um I sort of took this one on the merits of it as a film as well as mm-hmm. a Star Trek film. I think because Star Trek had fairly stagnated by this point. This oh goes, my there, was goodness, nothing, yes. there was nothing on TV. Yes. There were no movies. No. This was such an enjoyable reboot for a new mm-hmm. generation. I get why yes. hardcore Star Trek fans don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's many of them that are, well, they may not like it, are particularly harsh on it as they are with some of the others. Um, no. There is a certain Star Trek fandom until recently has always been fairly chilled and laid back and been kind of like, mm-hmm. it's not my Trek, but I'm so happy that it opened the door for discovery and this renewed interest in it. I think they got the casting right. Like I say, I have mixed feelings on Simon Pegg as Scotty, mm-hmm. partly because there's so many great Scottish actors out there that could have done it as well. But but I also get yeah, that you want that Simon Pegg name. Mm-hmm. And when he wasn't, you know, Mission Impossible Massive at that point, I'm still Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Simon Pegg, and a Star Trek fan. It was Mission Impossible Massive at that point. Well, he was in after. three, but it hadn't got to the point yeah. of Rogue Nation and really pulling him out JJ. of the... J.J. Abrams, though, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think... I know some people don't like Eric Banner's villain. I quite like him. He's a bit something and nothing, but I quite like him. I love his little, you know, hi, Christopher, hi, Nero. Oh, I love that bit. I completely agree. It is genius delivery. It's both so good. Because I remember Newsnight yeah. Review back when that was on, really laying into Eric Banner as being like really? the most bland actor they'd ever seen. I used to, back when they used to talk about films on TV, when you had mm-hmm. like BBC Film, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, review, yeah. all those different, the culture show. Um, I like his story. I This film's actually really dark. An entire planet is destroyed mm-hmm. just out mm-hmm. of a bit of revenge. I love how they tie it into the old timeline by bringing... Nimoy across, which is the mm-hmm. right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think I he was the logical, even if Kirk was still alive in the prime timeline, I think he was the logical character to bring across. I agree. Because I know Shatner pivoted or petitioned to be part of one of the sequels and they were kind of like, you're dead though. He, he, no, he was offered, there was a scene written for this scene, for this film. All right. It was going to be right at the end when the two Spocks met and it was going to be, um, when he was sort of trying to say that, you know, you needed each other. You know, I couldn't rob you of a friendship that you had. And he was going to produce a hologram of William Shatner as Kirk, kind of wishing him a happy birth, something yeah. menial, something small. And Shatner took one look at it and was like, absolutely not. I'm happy being dead. See you later. And yeah, I get that. It would, I, have again, a, it would have been a tiny cameo. With Shatner, the story seems to swing from side to side from, you know, they didn't want me, I, I wanted to be in it, yeah. they didn't want me, and it's kind of like, it's whatever move Bill Shatner's in that week. But, but I think he's, I think that's kind of right. I mean, if you had that history and all they offered you was that, you yeah. would probably feel like they didn't want you. Um, but that is what. Oh, yeah, it is a slap in the face, kind of. It is a slap in the face. Um, see, I, I agree with you. I for me, I was really excited for this film. Like I, 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 I took apart every trailer uh, just to get as much out of it as I could in the, the warm-up to it. 
because, like you say, Star Trek had been, I mean, for all sense and purposes, Star Trek was dead. Like, yeah. when, um, when Enterprise ended, um, and yes, there was, um, fatigue, but obviously it was, it was a couple of years after, uh, Nemesis, the, the finale of Enterprise did not go over well with the fans. I didn't mind it myself, but I know that, I mean, the fans generally hated it. And Star Trek ended on a TV, at least in, in the Berman era with a bit of a, a whimper. And for all intents and purposes, for a good two years at least, before even rumblings of this movie were about, Star Trek was dead. Yeah, and we just we just didn't think it was gonna. We did no no one in the fandom saw anyway how it was gonna come back. Um, so when you know word came round that you know the guy from Lost was gonna was gonna look into doing this movie, and I loved Lost and I loved Alias, I loved JJ Abrams' work, JJ Abrams' work back then. Um. You know, there was rumours going around that they were going to do a Star Trek Academy film. Um, there was rumours going around. There was all these rumours, but it was never nothing concrete. So when it finally came about, yes, we're going to get this movie. It's going to be a reboot of the original series. It's going to start from the beginning, see how they all met. I was like, okay, I'm going to get on board if this is what we're going to get. You know, I'm not going to be one of these people that's going to go, oh, it's out of the brand. I'm going to be like, man, it's going to be Star Trek. I don't care. Like, give it, give it to me. Um, and I vividly remember watching um, the the Star Trek panel from on, online of from San Diego Comic Con 2007 when they announced they were announcing the the, the casting of Spock. That was the big thing. They were going to talk about this new film, but they were only going to announce talk about the casting of Spock. And at this point, Zachary Quinto had been heavily, heavily. I mean, Adrian Brody was another name that was being thrown around, but. Zachary Quento was hugely tipped. Ever, ever since Heroes, he'd become everybody's fan yeah. casting for a new Spark well, company. Yeah. Um, and I was like, cool. And then, yes, they, they brought him out and he was official. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm involved. And he, JJ Abrams even said at the panel, hey, I was more of a Star Trek, Star Wars fan. You know, I wasn't really a Star Trek fan growing up. I remember him saying that. I was like, okay, maybe not the best thing to start with, but all right. Um, but as the panel was winding down, um, he sort of looked at the other guy that was there and he just went, we want to talk about casting. We only said we were going to talk about the casting of Spock. And everyone kind of went silent. And he went, Leonard Nimoy, everybody. And out came Nimoy. And he was like doing the whole Vulcan salute. And I was like, what? And they were like, yes, Nimoy Spock's going to be in this film. And everyone's went, yeah. you know, um, just blew it wide open. It's like, How, how's that going to work, you know? Um, it was really such a exciting. genius idea, rebooting it and being respectful to what had come before. It was, do you know what? My favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the whole film. It's not even a particularly memorable scene, like, but it's what I call the disclaimer scene. So there's a scene when they're all on the bridge and they're trying to t- talk about what's happening, and uh, 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 Kirk says something like. Well, he's from the future, so he knows what's going to happen. And Spock turns around and goes, you know, young Spock turns around and says, oh, you you assume that he knows the events. Completely opposite. He's come back in time and uh, changed the events and, you know, culminating with this. And Ahura goes, ultimate timeline. He's like, exactly. Whatever our lives were to be is no longer the case. Yeah. And that is him literally looking into the camera going, we're doing our own thing, guys. Canon is out the window. This is a new timeline. It's essentially like, what Michael <laughs> from Austin Powers 2 to pop up and be like, 
I suggest you don't think too much about it, and I suggest you don't think too much about it either. Because I, mean, I know just, there were yeah, people exactly. picking the trailers apart, being like, they didn't build starships on Earth. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's all this about Kirk. Yeah, Kirk didn't know about the Enterprise at this point, and blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, it's a new timeline. This is a whole new thing. And I was like, bravo, guys. That's genius. Um, but overall, I, I did really like this film. It didn't feel massively like Star Trek to me. It felt more like J.J. Abrams' audition for Star Wars, which is fine. Um it had some great space battles in it. Um, everyone was good. Uh, you know, obviously, Carl Urban steals everything he's in. Um, like he's fantastic. Yeah, Carl um, Urban I and think... Pike are the and yeah, um, Pike, Pike was... are the two for me. I really like that they gave Pike because again, before Discovery and Strange New Worlds, this was the mm. most Pike we'd ever this really got outside of the cage. This is it? Hundred percent. And I think as well, like the the bit at the beginning on the Kelvin was really emotional like the music i can never pronounce his name michael jenny i can never pronounce it i'm, I'm terrible this yeah he has the ability to activate the human tear duct with sound he is a wizard right um he did all the scoring for like up from pixar he does most of jj abrams's work he did like um stuff for like rogue one and like guys genius but that opening sequence when like George Kirk sacrifices himself and you know James Kirk's born and the whole music wraps around it in this really emotional build up that's really good um, and makes you realise that this Kirk you know has lost so much before he's even drawn yeah. his first breath um, and then you get the, the stuff with young Spock and it's just like really building it up you know with um, Winona Ryder lovely. Winona Ryder playing Amanda. Amazing. What? Where'd that come from? Loved it. Um, My eldest had not long been born, so I was like fighting back tears for that I George bet. Kirk bit. I bet you were, yeah, of course. Um, just, I couldn't I, imagine. I mean, he doesn't even get to see his son. He just no, gets his wife him. to describe it with um, Jennifer Wasserface from House. Yeah, um, Morrison. Jennifer yeah. Morrison. Think, Jennifer yeah. Morrison, yeah. I loved her in house, so I was kind of like, oh, yeah. Ooh. And I was like, yeah. that's that bloke from Home and Away who always looked a bit like Josh Hartnett. What's yeah. he doing here? Yeah. Not little realizing what he was going to go on to. It's, um, yeah. Um, and I like, and I say, I liked it. I like the fact that they put the Kobe Ashi Maroon there, like, and the fact that he's eating the apple as well during it, like, echoing Kirk eating the apple while telling the story of the Kobe Ashi Maroon in, in, um, in Wrath of Khan, um, I love, like I said, I love that we got it. There was a cut scene actually that where because you know he, um, you see Kirk sleeping with the Orion yeah. girl. It's actually her he convinces to upload the, the the program that shuts it all down. There's like a cut scene where you see her uh, do that. There's also another cut scene that tells you that she gets posted on one of the ships that gets obliterated as well. Which is really yeah, brutal. It's, it's, it's left vague in the thing, but given that pretty much all the ships are obliterated, you kind of figure yeah. that it didn't end well for her. No. Which um, is classic Kirk, isn't it, really? Sleeps with them and they yeah. die. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, a lot of people kicking off about, you know, there was always a mystery about how he, like, you know, beat the, beat that test and all that. And, you know, he never would have cheated. And it's like, no, no, it's specifically said in the Shatner timeline that he cheated. Yeah, it's genius. And I, again, I love the fact that we saw the Kobe Ashi Maru. 
like we've never i know we saw it in, with sabak at the beginning but like we saw kirk take it and, and they make the point of saying you know you've taken it three times but if you keep failing <laughs> it's just like yeah i'm gonna beat it um there was slight things that kind of bugged me you know why was spock an instructor at the academy the, i think the thing that, that that does kind of bug me a little bit about this movie is it does it, it, it feels like I always feel like if you, you, you feel the writer, if you, you can kind of feel the writer pointing you in a certain direction, yeah. I don't always like it. The, the writer should be, in my opinion, should be invisible because their work is that good. You don't really, it's only afterwards that you're like, oh my God, that was brilliant. Like their, their writing's amazing. Like when you're experiencing it, like I don't want the writer to be obvious. And, and I think in this film in particular, it's very clear that the writer's like, oh, we need Spock and Kirk to be to, to meet. Oh, he's he's now he's the 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 guy that you know challenges him at the academy. Oh, uh, you know they all. Oh, we need Kirk on the Enterprise. Oh, well, he's best mates with McCoy and has to yeah, take it him does on feel board. like everybody's in the right place they need to be at the time to become yeah. the role we know him as. I mean, the ending is the perfect example of that. The perfect example. They needed, by the end of that movie, for everybody to be in the position that we knew them to be. That's what they needed. So they sort of just hand-waved it, how a, a guy can go from uh, go from cadet to captain of the Enterprise. Like, he graduates, kind of, and then is given command of the Enterprise. It makes no sense whatsoever. He suddenly outranks Spock. What? This doesn't make any sense at all. Um, even from anybody that understands how like a rank structure works, like it doesn't make any sense at all. And they don't even really explain it. They just kind of go, no, no, we just need them there. Is that okay? Are you guys okay with that? They're kind of like, yeah, all right. But no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I get, I mean, you could have done like a five years later or you could have done anything. Like I get that they needed them to be there, but like, yeah, it's 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 not a perfect film, but it is a hugely enjoyable. Oh, absolutely! Revamp for a new generation. Like I say, I don't think it was aimed so primarily at fans this time, no, which I think is no, what. Whether you like the film or not, I think it's exactly what the franchise needed. A bit yes. like Pierce Brosnan as James Bond in the nineties. That is exactly yeah. what that franchise needed at that time to have any kind yeah. of longevity. Yeah, but. But yeah, all right then. So we are into our top three. So what's your number three? Okay. Undiscovered country. I thought it might be. <laughs> My number three is first contact. I, can I see thought we could be friends. Yeah, I, I thought we could be friends. A big difference at the top. <laughs> um. Okay, right. so that's your number. Yeah, yeah, that's my number three. So your number two. First contact. First contact. Yeah, I I will freely admit I think first contact is possibly the second best Star Trek film, but there is a Star Trek film that I absolutely adore, and it's not <laughs> one of the yeah, ones you think that's... it's going to be. <laughs> no, see, from first contact is in fact it's not even my number two it's actually my joint number one um if we can only have that i will i will put it below um at the other one um for now um because i think first contact is 
so wild. It is a full-on horror movie. It is a zombie horror movie, um, which I don't even really like, but they do it so well. And the story is, you know, okay, time travel, we've seen it a million times in Star Trek, but, you know, the fact that it's interwoven with the Borg and the Borg are terrifying. You know, at this point, the Borg is still terrifying. And, you know, in Voyager, they were introduced to become basically a monster every other week and they kind of got a bit, you know, neutered in my opinion. But at this point, they were used so sparingly that they were, they, they, they were, they were still terrifying and of course they got the upgrade the redesign with the almost you know hr geiger-esque uh look to them um and it plays so well as like a sequel to best of both worlds which is arguably one of the greatest star trek stories ever well, um, so this, it does this is very much the wrath of khan of the next generation isn't it it's a hundred percent but what's genius about this is that in that it is Wrath of Khan, but in this film, Khan is Picard. Yeah. Not, you know the you know you know the guy who is out for blood. He is out for vengeance. It's the 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 thing that separates him from uh, from Khan is that he has his friends around him who he initially ignores, but then they pull him back from the brink because he was ready. He is ready in that movie to go all in and to take everyone with him he is captain ahab like he is and he is like he is a man who was abused and who was you know used to destroy and you know it it, it broke him and to be faced with that again you know there's that little bit at the beginning where the enterprise is the only ship not sent to the armada because they believe that it it would, un- you know, the Picard shouldn't have to face that again. And even though it was wrong because he ends up saving the day in that particular battle, they were right because of what happens next. You know, the yeah. way he sort of goes after them. Um, from from a viewing point of view, I went to see that film when I was twelve in the same cinema I went to see Generations, this tiny little cinema in in in, uh, in Canterbury near me and uh i just remember that shot where it starts black and it pulls out and you see it's because it's, it's you see an eye goes out further you see it's picard's face see how further he sees in the classic star ntng uniform go out further he sees in a star he's in a borg alcove goes out further you see the other borg and it just keeps going and yeah. going and going until you can't even see him anymore. He's so tiny and you see the giant, how huge the Borg ship was. And even I, as a 12 year old, looked at that and was like, you cannot appreciate this shot unless you see it on the big screen. Like it just won't have the same effect on the small screen. Like it's just this huge, vast, you know, and like this thing. And that's what the Borg were, this overriding, you know, force of nature, this, this you know, massive collective. And from a cinematic point of view, I was just like absolutely floored. And it stayed with me, clearly. <laughs> you know, I turned 40 this year and I'm still like, like I could still be that 12-year-old again. And Jonathan Frakes' direction in this movie just 
next level. Yeah. You know, up until this point, he barely, I don't even know if he'd even directed a movie at this point. I think no, this was his first to. movie. Yeah. And it was how he managed to pull that off. I'll never know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was floored by it. It was yeah. brilliant. Annoyingly, this is the only film since Generations that I didn't see in the cinema. You were robbed, mate. You were robbed. I, I don't know why job. I'd started working, so I didn't have as much free time for going to the cinema at that point, and I didn't have as much money and, you know, all the other mm. crap. But yeah, yeah. I just gutted it's the only one I've never seen because it is one of my favorite. Yeah. Like, for the longest time, it was my number one. Mm, mm. It's only because there's another one that I've come to rewatch and yeah. love since, and you know, I led with my heart rather than my head on this ranking. I must and, admit, and as, as you should, it's why generations yeah. is so high on mine. Um, but it's you know the whole aspect of the Borg in this as well. Like you know, they're terrifying. They genuinely are. You know, um, there's a genuine sense that they could win here. Yeah. As well, throughout this film, which was again, I mean, you always knew in the back of your mind it wouldn't happen, but like, it's you know they're dangerous. Um, you know, you get the the battle of sector zero zero one, which echoes War three five nine, and you get you know the defiant with Wolf, which That's I love. Uh, well, the original plan was he that the, the, they were going to destroy it. Yeah, and, and the, the producers of Deep, of Deep Space Nine stepped in and just went, um, no. Because if I remember rightly, shit. that was the ship that was designed for fighting the Borg, wasn't it? Yeah. It and was, I love you've got but... Adam Scott as one of the crew of the Defiant yeah. as well. I didn't know for years. I didn't know that for years. It just completely blanked. I was like, didn't connect that it was the same guy um, until I watched it like years and years ago. And I was like, oh, wait, wait. That, I know that guy. Because you've got um, him and you've got Neil McDonough as Hawk. And I yes, love Neil yeah. McDonough. He's been in some absolute yeah. crap, but I think he is again an amazing actor who's just not really had outside well, of Band of Brothers and a few other things, yeah. not really had the parts. And yeah. I loved him in but the TV series Boomtown that only ran for like a season and a half. But see, to me, he's Hawk. Whenever he pops up, he's Lieutenant Hawk. Um, so like, you know, I agree, he's a great actor and he's he's done some great stuff, but to me he'll always be yeah. Lieutenant Hawk from, from first contact. Um but I think it's like I say. I think the 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 two you know two different stories of you know trying to convince Stefan Cochran that they, he needs to do the you know the warp flight to 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 meet the aliens who we obviously find out later who they are uh, versus the the you know the the revenge to, like the revenge. Uh, it perfectly touring. balances those two tones of like classic next gen episode, mm-hmm. them helping out a lesser community not a lesser community but i can't think of less advanced technologically advanced yeah. community and then just the nightmare of the board which still to this day and another thing it's got in common with wrath of khan is it's just got this haunting image of you being taken over in this case by machine yeah and you've also got well, like you say the ahab thing of the card like him just winning the even though he himself was brought back from being a Borg, just willingly killing the crew members that have been taken over because he thinks it's the right, right thing for them. And, you know, yeah. there's sort of a pain thing on his face, but at the same time, a weird, perverse enjoyment from it. Like, he's just wiping the Borg out, any trace of them. Yeah, and, and Lily pulls him back from that. Um, and that's what she's designed to do in that film. She's the, you know, the 21st century um, native who who 
you know, his, his sin horror. So she understands in a way that maybe no one else on the crew would understand. Yeah. So she sees that pain, she understands it, and she understands how to come back from it. Um, but another, another, she to, to play on that darkness and and, and, fraud, and uh, there's a beautiful scene. It's it's terrifying, and when you go back and watch it, you you see it for what it is. In it's when um, they're preparing to go to the surface, and um, Jonathan Frakes does this beautiful shot, tracking shot across engineering, and when you know. Geordie's going through going, hey, you know, got it. You, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. You know, Porter, go and find out what's going on with environmentals. It's a bit warm in it. He does this beautiful tracking shot, which at first you could be fooled into thinking what he's doing is he's showing off the new engineering set of the Enterprise E. Look at this lovely set. What he's really doing, which I guess it might be obvious, I don't know, but I like to think, I like to think, you know, what he's really doing is he's showing off all the people who are going to be slaughtered very, very shortly. So he's showing off all of these faces. You know, you see the Bolian, you see these, this engineer, you see this person. And he's perp. you see that there's that one officer who you later see being led along when he looks at them. Um, you know, when Picard's going down with the fact, like they're all going down and they like he's still in his Starfleet uniform, but he's clearly been in the process of being assimilated. And he's being led along the cockpit. He's very prominent in this first shot. You know, they're, they're tracking through, showing you all these faces that you're going to remember, even if it's subconsciously, later on in the film, yeah. who have been horrifically mutilated. And I, every time I watch it, I just feel this horrible feeling there because it's a horror thing. That's what it is. Look at all these lovely people who are all going to die. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, God. Um, and I, I, I say to my friends sometimes when we talk about this film, like, could you imagine, like, you know how it all gets resolved and, you know, the Borg get defeated and everyone gets control of the Enterprise and they go back to the future and it's great. That was someone's job to go through that shit and clean up those bodies. Yeah. Engineering in particular would have been a horror show. Yeah. Like an actual horror show with bodies and mutilation and real horrific stuff. So there was there was some Starfleet lower deckers whose job it was to go in there. They probably would have left Starfleet after that. They were like, I ain't dealing with this. I'm just glad I was, you know, I was stationed up on the saucer or something, you know. <laughs> it's just like... I love as well, I can't remember his name, but he's Jessica Fletcher's nephew from Murder, she wrote, as the security guy who keeps getting sent back down to hold the line. Daniels. Yeah, that's Daniels, it. Lieutenant Daniels. He's, he's always Grady from Murder, she wrote to me. But... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's in insurrection as well. He is, yeah. Yeah, I think they can name him in that one. I think he's just security officer yeah. in first contact, yeah. and yeah. Um, and I like that you've got again. I've forgotten his name. Howling Mad Murdoch the, is the actor that plays. Shields. Yeah, I love that he's down there, and he's got that weird little fanboy moment with Cochrane, and yeah, yeah, completely. Again, agree. so you know yeah. that he didn't die in engineering. You know he's safe. He gets this little moment yeah. down on the. Well, he 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 gets brought back in Voyager. He plays quite a big part in the later seasons of Voyager. Um, I don't think I all that far into Voyager. <laughs> yeah, um, he plays. Yeah, he he plays a big part uh, when they make contact with Earth. Um, but yeah, that was a nice moment as well. Yeah, having him come back and because you know Barkley's such a lovable character Barclay, in the Star Trek. I character. should remember Barkley. Yeah. That's where I deliver yeah. most. <laughs> um, but it's the whole thing is driven by 
Picard and by extension performance. Yeah. Oh, it's um, very much Picard's film. It's Yeah, yeah. He has those um, amazing so... I love the thing with Worf where he's like, you know, you're a coward, you want to run away. I love Worf's delivery of you if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. And you believe him. Yeah. Like you believe that. And that shows the bond between those two. Um and again, the bond between data and um oh god, the original plans for that as well. There's some really horrific plans. Apparently there was one bit where Picard and Data were gonna get merged together as one being. Uh that was one of the ideas on the drawing table, like drawing board. Glad that didn't happen. Um but yeah, it was it was some crazy stuff. Um apparently at one point wasn't going to be um, it wasn't going to be like 21st century Earth, it was going to be medieval Earth, and there was yeah. like concept design sort of, of uh, an assimilated castle um, but yeah, I think, you know, Patrick Stewart is an absolute heavyweight in this movie, we all know the scene, we all know the scene you know, the, the bit where he loses it and he's just like you know, we've made too many compromises, too many retreats you know, they invade our space and we fall back into that whole bit is just just building up to John Luke blow up the damn ship no. yeah 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 and it's just like not again the line must be brought here and you're like whoa uh, and yeah it's just it's just next level stuff that he never got to really do in the TV show and meant to do yeah um and that's genius uh, but yeah, to me, it's it's there's so many great things in it. You know, the new Enterprise E, which you know, crazy. I didn't like it first. I even have, I've got a toy of it. I still I didn't like it. It's not my my Enterprise, but I grew to love it. Um, the new uniforms, weird. Uh, Geordie's new eyes, weird. Uh, <laughs> I missed the visor. Me. I always liked the visor. I thought it was cool. I agree. As a kid. I agree. Um, but I get why they did it. Yeah, I imagine um, it's horrible to wear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I say, it's it's that kind of vengeance thing and the, the the danger of the Borg, and also you see the assimilation in a way that you you obviously saw it in Next Gen, um, in with with Picard, but obviously didn't have the budget for it. Um, or in this, you know, the whole idea of the, the little tubules in the hands coming out, and then the you know you see them starting to be assimilated. You see that like there's that scene in in engineering where you see the Borg assimilating crew members. And like putting things on their faces, and you see like their eyes have been popped out, yeah. and, you know, and it's just like, you know, sitting there as twelve, and I'm like, this is something else. I can't know if I can deal with this. It's, <laughs> it's nightmare fuel. Oh, it is pure nightmare fuel, pure horror nightmare fuel. Um, but I love it. Yeah, it's but all right then. Um, so yep. my number two is, hang on, we at my number two. Yeah, yeah, my number yeah. two is Wrath of Khan. So wow. we, we will come to your number one, which I think I know what it's going to be. Uh, well, my number one is Wrath of Khan. Um, and uh, no, no, you wanted my number two. I, you no, we, my number your two. number two was First Contact, wasn't it? Oh, my number three. Oh, yeah, I said Undiscovered yeah. Country. I'm sorry. Yep. Yes, yeah, so my number one is Wrath of Khan. So should we do my number one and then end with Wrath of Khan or... Yeah, okay. All right, so my number one is Undiscovered Country. I am aware that it is not the best Star Trek film. As a Star Trek film, it has flaws. Certain characters do things that they should. 
know how to do. Oh, you Uhura, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th- there's an argument that McCoy should know how to perform medical things on a Klingon. But I just love this film. I think everybody is pitch perfect in this film. I love Sulu being off as the captain of his own ship. I want, I wanted a Sulu series after this. Yeah, I know they did a Voyager episode that sort of did it. That yeah. I found out when we did our episode on this for this podcast. Um, and I've obviously talked about this film a lot on the episode we did on Star Trek: Six: The Undiscovered Country as part of this podcast. Um, I just I love this film, and the more. I watch it, the more I love it. I love... It's such a fitting send-off for that crew, to the point where that's why Generations has dropped down so much for me. Is that we didn't yeah, need to see the characters again. I get that. I completely agree with you. It's a beautiful end-off, send-off with them just yeah. stealing the Enterprise and flying off. Second star to the left, straight on till morning. Beautiful. And you get the signatures going across the thing, which they ripped off for Avengers Endgame. Well, not ripped off, but did again for Avengers Endgame. Um, it's just such a good film. It's plot-wise, possibly not the trickiest plot. The mystery is kind of easy to figure out if you're paying attention, but... Yeah, I... You know what? I... I um. Oh, by the way, if I start talking a bit quieter, it's because I realise what the time is. Um, I I only have watched this film. I, I mean, I, I will watch any version of it. I like to watch the extended version because I like all the extra bits that get put in, like the stuff with um, uh, with Colonel West and um, all those extra little bits and pieces in there because I think it just adds to it so much better. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's pitch perfect. I think this film is absolutely brilliant and if, if Rafa Khan didn't exist this would be up there with a bullet um, I don't think it's um, a coincidence that Nick Meyer directed both of them yeah. um, I think he had a big thing about that um, obviously there was it's a, the whole kind of undertone of, of it is is is, is a, an analogy for the, the fall of the Berlin Wall that's kind of what it's meant to represent you know uh, the the neutral zone coming down um, you know the this this kind of other superpower is falling, you know, the Klingons take the place of the Soviet Union. And that's kind of what it's meant to represent, um, which is why we get, you know, the race undertones, which I know for certain actors was very, very difficult to do. Brock Peters in particular, who plays Admiral Cartwright, found the scene, you know, filming the scene with all of them, you know, the Admiralty and that, you know, that meeting, very, very difficult, like his words, like his... He, Apparently, he had to do several takes because the racist undertones of what he was saying was too much for him to bear. Yeah, I um, see that. I think it's incredibly powerful, though, that he is mm, that character. Yeah. Is that character that does it, and it is that mm. actor that does it. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, there's a there's a there's a, there's, a, there's quite a famous story about William Shatner not being happy yeah. about saying that let them die scene to the point that he made like Nick Mayer ag- ag- agreed. To, to film an extra shot of him waving it away as if to say I didn't mean that uh, but then didn't famously put it in the movie yeah. and he had no intention of putting it in the movie he just did it to placate Shatner on the day um, there's obviously the line from um, Chekhov you know guess who's coming to dinner which is yeah. a reference to the you know the, 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 the Sidney Poitier isn't it yeah um, I believe yeah um, film so there's all of this sort of racist undertone in there which is extremely uncomfortable and 
meaning to be uncomfortable, especially in this sort of meant to be enlightened utopia. There was still room for like there's still this sort of prejudice, you know, especially when you go back to the original series with Balance of Terror when Kirk tells Lieutenant Styles, you know, leave your bigotry in your quarters. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, that's because he's a bigot against a, a Vulcan in that instance, you know, who were our friends. Now we've got these people who have been our enemies for hundreds of years and now yeah. we've got to be nice to them. And it's like, they don't know how. And again, it goes into the age thing. You know, they, they're they older. You know, he sort of says, you know, if, you know, Gorkin says, if there's going to be a brand new world, our generation are going to have the hardest time living in it because they've had, they've had that years of animosity and they all do a beautiful job. They all do it. You believe it. You know, even before you get to Chris Plummer, who's one of the greatest Star Trek villains to remember. That's what you, you've got Christopher yeah. Plummer, like one of the greatest actors of his generation, as the villain of the film, and he's amazing. And I love how he's doing the big, you know, cry havoc, slugs of war, and all that. And it just cuts to McCoy and Spock working on the missile, and McCoy says, "I'd pay real money for him to shut up." <laughs> it's it's genius, and um. And like I say, you know, Sulu being off on, on the Excelsior, it made sense. You know, it's so that's the only shame him. of it that he's then not in that final crew shot, but he, he but they left that chair empty yeah. on purpose for him, which I I liked. Um, and like I say, he's amazing as a captain when they're going to aid the enterprise and he's like, We're gonna tear it apart, it's like then tear her apart. Valeris as well, she's a she's a great character. Originally yeah. he was meant to be um Savak. Yeah. It was meant to be set up. But, I'm glad it wasn't, to be fair, because well, they couldn't bring any of the actors back. They want they tried Robin Curtis, she couldn't do it. They tried even tried Kirstie Alley, she didn't want to do it by that point. Um, and they didn't want to recast Savage for a third time, so they rewrote it to be somebody else. Um, which I'm glad that they yeah. did because, good lord, um, there's a there's a famous uh, story about uh, Nimoy. Coming on, uh, like going onto the bridge set and finding Kim Cattrall apparently doing a nude shoot or something, uh, and him nearly throwing her off the film <laughs> or something, which I thought was really hard. Like, again, it's one of those urban legends. Like, Where can I find this nude shoot? <laughs> For research, um, obviously. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, I mean, she's she's phenomenal. Kim Cattrall yeah. is brilliant. You know? I can't help like every time I you know I watch a. Yeah, because I don't mind the, you know, watching uh, Sex and the City. I think it's a great, great show. And every time I saw her in it, I'm just like, it's weird. It's the same person. It's completely weird. It's the same person. Because um, she's so brilliant as both characters. You know? But they're so different. Um, and you believe her as well. Like the betrayal that Spock feels, you feel it because she's built up all the way through that she's going to be this sort of next generation Vulcan to take over from him. And then she turns out to be this, you know, part of the conspiracy but just like I did not see that coming where'd that come from you know like it was it was really really good um yeah it was a perfect send-off and you know they're all on their own game um I just I, I yeah and again to go off probably slightly on tangent um you know Gene Roddenberry famously hated it yeah didn't he? Yeah, he uh, he sat down, watched went, the screening of it. Went to his death hating it. It's... Well, he well yeah he he sat down, he watched the screening of it with Nick Meyer. Said, "Oh yeah, it's really really good." Then immediately called his lawyer and said, "How do we stop this film from coming out?" But then unfortunately, days later, he died. So that 
legal terms never happened. Apparently, he hated the the militarization. Uh, he hated yeah, the racism. I, I can see. I can see why he hated it. And as the creator of it, not having that control over it anymore, I can see that frustration. But and you know, it's easy to say from the sidelines that at a certain point you've just got to let it naturally develop. I can see why he didn't. Like it. I can see why Shatner had a problem with that line. I think it works because Shatner, after Search for Spock, never really gets a chance to deal with the death of David. I agree. This is the first time he sort of comes to it. So you can imagine that's been festering away in him for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the whole the whole thing on Ruripente is great. You know, I agreed. Uhura not knowing how to speak Klingon was dumb. It's done for a comedy moment rather than... Yeah. She tried to fight it and she got overruled, which was a shame. Um, I I can overlook it. It is a problem, but I can overlook it in the heart of the whole film. I love the little moments as well. I love Kirk being frustrated that he got rescued just before he told them who it was. And then we spot being like, can we send you back down? He's like, no, it's cold. (laughs) Yeah, pretty good. Um... Yeah, the whole thing works. Um, I just found it weird that the Romulans were there. Because, you know, it was always made out that the Romulans was, you know, don't want to be around anybody. Yeah. You know, they disappear for years and then all of a sudden the Romulans are like well in in there and like on Earth and just like it's all fine. And I'm like, that's weird. Um, I love when but, Kirk uh, saves the president as well. And when he's got him on the floor, he's just like, Kirk, Enterprise. <laughs> Such um, a great Kirk moment. Like, I love the fact that that uh, Chang's ship is a, a bird of prey that can fly when cloaked. It makes yeah. it such a dangerous weapon um, and kind of is a really good kind of go-to. Well, why didn't we see anything? That's cloaked. Oh, I can fly when it's cloaked. Oh, God. Really good. Um, I loved that they had to make the Klingon blood all pink and gooey so they could have blood because obviously yeah. there's rules in films about red blood. Which I think is hilarious. Yeah, because they were going to um, make it green at one point, weren't they? And then Falcons, Falcons, but but yeah, it's a great movie. It's a great send off. Um, it know. is, and I meant to say when we talked about Beyond, I do love that they, he, when he's going through Spot Prime stuff, he finds that photo of the crew, and, which again is why I think Beyond is such a nice, not just an end to the Kelvin timeline, but just a nice cap off. To that whole era of Star Trek, yeah, almost like saying goodbye to Star Trek on the big screen, knowing that they're coming back to Star Trek on the small screen, where it's going to thrive in several different, very different projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which I think is where they had the problem with the next gen Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise. Is with the exception of Deep Space Nine, they all felt like very similar things, yes, just with a slightly different hook. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, agree. I love yeah. Shatner changing the where no man to where no one, and mm. both bringing yeah. it forward and tying it into the, into next gen, which that was the next yeah. gen handover you needed. That was perfect. Yeah. That was the passing yeah. of the torch, him changing it from no mm. man to no one. But they also, at the same time, did to coincide with the 20th anniversary and to coincide with the release of that movie, did the, the Spock unification episodes of Next Generation. Yeah. Like it happened at the same time. So that too could have could be construed as a passing of the torch thing as well. Which I really, really liked. 
Um, so you had DeForest Kelly in the encounter at Farpoint. <laughs> pilot, yeah. So yeah. It, it had been done. Well, and then, of course, Scotty in season five as well. Yeah. Yeah. But no, um, Undiscovered Country was, I mean, I, I think it's brilliant. I don't think he's got any flaws to it, really. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I love uh, I love the Christian Slater cameo I've mentioned it before. You know, he got it because his mum's casting director. Yeah, and he was just a massive Star Trek fan. He didn't want anything showy. He just wanted a little... Oh. I don't yeah, even think he wanted yeah. a speaking part. I think he was happy to just be something in the background and they were just kind of like, well, well think, we got Christian Slater. Well, I think that's that's what he originally wanted. That scene was meant to be Rand. That's that's who was meant to be doing it. It was meant to be Rand. And then I think Nick Meyer heard that Christian Slater wanted to be in the film and he was like, wouldn't this be a great... What is that? moment for yeah. fans who come because you know Christian Slate was kind of at the height of his powers at that point he was a massive actor and uh, it was one of those things where people sitting in the cinema and then all of a sudden Christian Slater is like an A-list celebrity at that That's point. it, I don't even think he was credited it was back in the days when they did cameos where they didn't feel the need to put their name in the thing so even anyone who was like I just want to watch the ca- credits go by just so I can see if that was Christian Slater like, nope couldn't have been interesting because and obviously Rand like, did get a part in the film yeah. anyway so it, it's, it's interesting to say about the credits because the flip side happened for generations um whoopi goldberg went uncredited because the rules would have dictated she would have had to have top billing because she's uh... she didn't want to do that so she took it uncredited because she didn't want to be seen as like the star of the film and fair so... play to her for that a lot of actors wouldn't do that but but awesome. All right, then. So we will end with Wrath of Khan because I'm aware it's getting late as well. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's probably not a lot left to say about Wrath of Khan that hasn't been said elsewhere. But this was the film that haunted me as a child. The oh, really? things in ears. <laughs> like I say, this is the other film, a bit like The Borg, where it's being taken over by something mechanical. This, it's those freaking earwigs. Um, I mean, Wrath of Khan is just... Oh, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of sci-fi and it's a masterpiece of Star Trek. I mean, to say that Wrath of Khan is like the greatest movie is like saying that, you know, Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie. You know, there are sections of the fandom that would disagree, but the overall consensus is it's like, well, yeah, obviously, you know. Um, and Wrath of Khan is, is that. It's, it's, it has no business being as good. It is. Even if it's done. not your favourite, you've got to recognise that it's the best. Like I say, Undiscovered Country is my favourite and I went with my heart over my head. If I was going with my head, it would be Wrath of Khan all the way. Yeah. It's a, like I say, I think it is a perfect movie. I don't think there is. I love that Kirk and Khan and everyone screen together. I love that it's very much like, it's a submarine movie at the end of the day. It's two ships hunting each other. It's. I love uh, I love Walter Koenig's story about because you know the whole thing about cards like I never forget the first mistake. Yeah. Check off. It's like, well, actually, he weren't even in that episode. Or he wasn't even in the series at this point. That's it. They had to go Walker. through hoops, didn't they, to like write Walker. backstory in expanded universe. But Walter Kaling, he he knew this. Obviously, he knew this, and he's been he's been asked. I saw an interview with him um, about it, and he sort of said, "Well, yeah, but if I'd have brought," he goes, "Obviously, I knew, but if I'd have brought it up, they would have probably swapped me out for Sulu." I had a really meaty, meaty part in this movie, and uh, I wasn't going to rock that boat. 
and kind of go, uh, I didn't actually wasn't in that episode. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to let him get on with it and take the meaty role. And I'm like, fair play, mate. Fair play. Because didn't <laughs> he say play. that his joke of the thing was that, no, I was there. I was the one hogging the toilet when Khan really needed it. And that's why Khan <laughs> never forgot his face. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, but it's it's brilliant. I mean, they obviously did the, uh, the fake out at the beginning because the rumours got out that Nimoy was going to, you know, Spock was going to get killed off in this film. So they sh- they shot that fake out in the uh, in the Kobayashi Maru of Spock dying to sort of make people go, oh, that's what it meant. Then. Oh, he's, he didn't really die. He's, he's just the Kobayashi Maru. That's what everyone thinks. And of course, he dies at the end. And everyone's like, oh my goodness. You know. Um, and such an um, earned and rewarding death. The. I, I talk about this a lot when I when I talk about Raffle Khan because I do because I, I love talking about Raffle Khan. Um, that there is a a sequence of events that happen at the end of Raffle Khan that is a build up, and it starts with Spock realizing that something is wrong with engineering. He's on the bridge and everyone's going mad and not seeing what he's doing. He just looks up, gets up. Because he can hear Scotty talking over the over the over you know, I want to say intercom over communications. You know, yeah. he gets up and he just walks off, and no one notices. He just walks off. Kirk doesn't notice, and then he goes down and you know does his thing. You know, neck pinches. Um, McCoy does the remember. Goes in, and then we have the the stuff that's going on outside the ship. And then obviously you know warp power gets on, and off they go. And he's like, you did it, you did it. You know, well done, Scotty. And then you just hear over, over, over you just hear the voice of um, Bone saying, Jim, you better get down here. Better hurry. And Kirk looks up and he sees the empty chair. And he knows. He knows. And he stands up. He's just like. And the performance up until that point and then the chain of events if anybody was not on the top of their game from all the way from any of the actors, the production staff, the director would have ruined it. Yeah. But the sequence of events, and of course the editors, because they bring it together, he then goes down and it's all in the music. Him rushing down, going, you know, going in the turbo lift, getting out turbo lift, you know, up until the point when he's being wrestled to not go in there. And he's just like, you'll flood the whole compartment. He's like, he'll die. He's dead already. And that moment when he just stops and looks over at Scotty, who says that, and you just see it melt out of him. Yeah. And he is defeated. He has faced the no-win scenario, and he has finally lost. And then, of course, you get the moment between yeah. them. That, those 15 years of playing those characters build up in the shows, the first movie, the animated series, the numerous comic cons, the everything. Everything that these characters meant to people at this point. If that hadn't happened, we would have got into darkness. Yeah. You see what I mean? And it just <laughs> you know it was and again that was another thing that haunted me as a kid because Spock died. Spock shouldn't die. Spock doesn't die. And you know, I know you've got the coffin at the end and it heavily hints that there is a way for Spock to come back. But as a kid, you don't realise that. It's just 
you don't put two and two together. And, you know, I think I'd seen later Star Trek films, so I knew he came back. But even now, as an adult, that death scene is so effective that it still hits me. The I am and always have been your friend, the way he delivers it. I know it, you know, Kirk's eulogy at the funeral, I know it gets mocked a lot for the way he says human. Nothing. Family guy riffed on it and that. But it's just beautiful. Um, DeForest Kelly's great in this film as well. He's not the main focus point of it as the other two are, but he's still there. He's still that solid devil angel on Kirk's shoulder to a certain degree. Um, Ricardo Montalban as Khan is great. Because again, I vaguely remembered the episode when I saw the film because it wasn't like it is now where I can just pop the DVD and all go on Paramount Plus or whatever. So it was, you know, unless I happened to catch it on a, in a rerun on TV, no idea. Well, it, it didn't just... matter that it was a sequel to an episode from the TV series. It was cool if you knew it, but you didn't need to know it. And yeah, like I say, there's so many things in this film that work. You know, Savak's brilliant. She's this new kind of character that gets brought in, you know, possibly to take over or whatever. But she's, you know, she's brought in and she plays like a really good folly for Kirk, you know, you know, and he plays a good folly for her. And she sort of represents the new generation and he represents what, you know, it's being edged out. Again, he's feeling lost. He doesn't know where he is in the universe anymore. And there's all these little things, you know, Captain Tyrell, the whole thing, Reliant, brilliant. Little, nice little cameo for Kyle. I love yeah. that. Free my boy, Lieutenant Kyle, back, or Commander Kyle at that point. Love that. Um, but really, when you talk about Wrath of Khan, you really have to talk about Kirk. You know, you talk about even stuff with like him finding out that he's a dad. You know, that's like that's gut wrenching. But really, it comes down to his relationship with Khan, yeah. his relationship with Spock, and how that defines him. You know, he's facing his past, and this guy that is out for blood, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you, and I'm gonna get everyone around you because of what you did. So he's facing his past and then, you know, facing that kind of arrogance as I never faced a no-win scenario. <laughs> and then like an hour later, he's watching his best friend die because of essentially his actions in the original series. And it's like... <laughs> yeah, it's just rewatching it every time. But you, you can kind of see where Khan is coming from as well. You don't agree with him, but the whole thing that he was dumped on a doomed planet. Kirk didn't know it was a doomed planet. He didn't know that shit was going to go wrong. As far as he was concerned, he left them with everything they needed to thrive as a new civilization. Um, So you've got that from it as well. Like I say, just the chemistry between those two, considering that they're not actually on screen together, is superb. You feel that. It's so good. It's so good. And yeah, Ricardo Martin does it breathtaking job um yeah i don't i don't have a bad word about this movie yeah. it's one of my favorite it's not even just my you know my favorite star trek movie is one of my favorite movies ever yeah. awesome is there anything you want to plug sort of before we go or um yeah check out ed's world <laughs> ed's world is the show that i work on at the moment um edsworld.co.uk or just search for ed's world on youtube you'll find it um, and on like Instagram and, and and Twitter, as it as it is, 
um, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Uh, awesome. Making that, working on that show and having fun. So cool. yeah, check that out. Well, I'll put all the usual links in the show notes and everything anyway, so people will find it. But cheers for doing this. I really enjoyed it. Sorry it's got so late, but <laughs> cheers for this, yeah. man. I really enjoyed it. No, thank you. Thank you. I hope you don't have too much to edit. No, no, it's fine. I'll, uh, I'll sort it out. Don't worry. <laughs> cool. Cool. Awesome. Take care. Well, you take care, mate. Bye. the Star Trek ranking, and why not? I'd like to thank Andy for joining me on this episode and joining me for this ranking. Check out the show notes for links you need for Andy's comics and Ed's world and everything else. At the time of recording, the Star Trek films are available in the UK on DVD, Blu-ray and 4K, either in box sets or as individual titles from Paramount Pictures. We put a shout on the socials for your top three Trek movies, and we had some replies. Rob O'Connor on Twitter did a full-ish ranking, which is as follows... Uh, number one, Wrath of Khan. Number two, The Voyage Home. Number three, The Search for Spock. Number four, The Undiscovered Country. Narrowly beaten by Search for Spock, though. Five is Star Trek 09. Six is Star Trek Beyond. Seven, The Final Frontier. Eight, First Contact. And then all the other rubbish ones. Into Darkness probably isn't as bad as its reputation. He later added, actually, Final Frontier gets pulled back up to the top five. I'd simply sooner watch any of the OG original series movies than anything else. They're just so lovely. Even, and in some ways especially, five. John Ottaway on Blue Sky said, My three faves are more about nostalgia than quality, apart from one. Star Trek The Motion Picture. Getting to see Trek on the big screen was exciting. The Wrath of Khan. This one is the quality, but it was also the follow-up from a story I remembered from the show. And Generations. I cried when Kirk died. Thank you for your comments for the episode. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the films or your own personal ranking, you can get involved in the conversation wherever this episode posts on our social media channels. You can give us a follow on Threads, Blue Sky and Instagram, or why not join the And Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only be kept up to date on what episodes have come up and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media, or check out the links in the show notes. As always, thank you for your recent positive comments and feedback on our recent episodes. It truly does mean a lot to hear that you enjoy listening to them. If you enjoyed this episode and we bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. I might not give the series a follow or subscribe on Acast or wherever you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating if you have a second or two to spare. But if you don't, we're just grateful that you spent the time listening to us. Thank you. If you've missed any Amwino episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, and if all goes to plan, for our next episode, we'll be taking a look at and celebrating 40 years of the unofficial James Bond remake, Never Say Never Again. Fair warning, that episode may be a little bit late due to the recording date for that episode, sorry. So keep an eye on socials for updates for when that episode drops. Thanks for listening. And really, there's only one thing you should remember, and that's to live long and prosper. Bye for now. Shut up, Wesley.